Welcome to Otaku Brothers, your friendly neighborhood gaming podcast featuring Rusty and Ryan. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 127 of Otaku Brothers. My name is Rusty and today on this chilly fall afternoon I'm joined by my forever co-host and brother-in-law. Ryan, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great. Yeah, it's been beautiful actually these past couple of weeks. It's been like 25 degrees higher than the average for mid-October. Global warming is a very, very real thing. And it's really nice to wear t-shirts in October. <laughs> so thanks, global warming. Well, uh, maybe not, but it has been uh, It's a been little... like 80, mid-80s, and it's supposed to be like 60s for October, um, but it rained yesterday and kind of brought back in the real fall weather, which mm. I'm actually really enjoying. Putting on sweatshirts and sweatpants and flip-flops is pretty nice my favorite time of year oh gosh it's just the perfect time to cozy up on the couch drink a nice cider or coffee play some good video games and that's what we're all about here so if you are new to otaku brothers this is me rusty over here my brother-in-law ryan over there as we introduced him at the top of the show we have one heck of a fun show for all you fine people out there today and if you didn't listen to last week's episode i would strongly encourage you to do so we had a good friend of ours he's in the discord he's out on youtube you can find him on twitter devil may pie danny such a fun time picking his brain about growing up in Thailand, how we got into RPGs, starting with Final Fantasy IX, how that's carried into his adult life, and uh, how a lot of his YouTube channel is kind of centered around JRPGs. So if you want to hear us talk to Danny about all of that fun stuff and a crazy segment dedicated to our love of PlayStation trophies, go check out episode 126. It was a lot of fun, but this week, we have a really packed agenda. Ryan has an interesting story he wants to get to, which I'm actually pretty interested to hear what went down for him earlier this week. Yeah. I have some Far Cry 6 impressions. I've also been playing lots of Resident Evil. And then in the back half of the show, Ryan, we are bringing back a segment we recently kickstarted called the Destiny Island Challenge. I won't go into the details now. You'll have to stay for the back half of the show, but let's just say we're going to reminisce and celebrate the 20th anniversary of a favorite console of ours, that being the Nintendo GameCube. Hell yeah. It's going to be a great time. We have all kinds of advertisements queued up. We've got some fun facts. We've got five games to take to an island with us, but more on that later in the show, Ryan. As you as you know, and the listeners probably know, we kickstart every episode talking about our weeks, what's going on in our life, and uh, we made a change recently to our recording schedule where we only record every other week, Yeah. so that means more life happenings and more games played, but why don't you enlighten the good people and talk us through how the last two weeks have been going for you? Nothing cr too crazy except, I guess, the story that happened this past Wednesday, a couple days ago. Um, I think the big news is just Sora announcement for oh, both man. of us uh, for the final Smash character. Yeah, it kind of just crept up on me, too. Like, I, I tend to try and watch the kind of funny people over there. They do the kind of funny games daily where every day it's just a new segment to talk about all of the nerdy happenings in the world. And they kept kind of reiterating that, hey, we're going to do a live reaction in a couple days. It's going to go down. And I... I've kind of taken a backseat to Smash hype for a while now. Yeah. You know, I, I love that 
you know, they've continued to put out all these characters. Sakurai is an absolute legend. The commitment he has made to this game over the past 20 odd years is just second to none. Uh, but all of that being said, you know, when I originally got my, my Nintendo Switch, uh, I got one for Lauren for her birthday, which was the Let's Go Pikachu Eevee Special Edition. Yep. Little did I know you and her were, you know, conniving behind the <laughs> scenes to get a Switch for me, which yeah. ended up being the Smash Ultimate system, which came out that December. Yeah, because you guys both held off on the Switch console for a good year or so. Yeah. Um, past when I got mine or the start of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, definitely a strong game to start out your your Switch career with. Absolutely. Yeah, but I held off and, you know, I played the heck out of Smash when it first came out, was really big on the whole spirit thing, getting through that whole campaign stuff. And then the years that ensued, I, you know, I picked up the character packs. Banjo-Kazooie was something that really got me excited, really pumped about that. And in other characters, I didn't do a whole lot for me, like Joker from Persona 5, some of the other Fire Emblem stuff, like Minecraft Steve. Yeah. Red Sephiroth. Happy for the fans. Good stuff. We got, um, the guy from Tekken, you know, all that kind of stuff yeah. just continues to add fuel to the hype fire that is Smash Ultimate. But as we kind of came to this last announcement character, I, you know, I know there were so many rumors about Gino from, I think, Mario RPG, potentially Rayman, Crash Bandicoot. And then Sora has been someone that, you know, has been talked about for years, but I never thought it would happen just because... Kingdom Hearts hasn't really been supported for Nintendo for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, of course, had Dream Drop Distance for 3DS and 358 over two days on DS. But, you know, with the Switch and Wii and Wii U, we haven't seen Kingdom Hearts represented for quite some time. And um, how Kingdom Hearts has yet to come to Switch was just baffling to me. So I kind of went into this, you know, um, reveal with no expectations at all. Yeah, I was actually working on my computer laptop uh i was actually sitting in the game room because it was just a relaxed day i didn't have any meetings i was just you know kind of getting things queued up for the rest of the week and um just doing some stuff behind the scenes but i had the kind of funny crew up uh blessing at aoea jr and and tim uh gettys were reacting to it and what a way to kind of open it up you know sakurai was sitting at this desk kind of just narrating and talking through the history of smash what he's you know, he's just put his heart and soul into the development of um, this series over the years, but particularly Smash Ultimate mm-hmm. and just kind of, you know, really just flexing, you know, saying there's like four million songs and, you know, all these different video games represented over the course of really just the history and inception of games themselves. And and he talked about, you know, just how excited he was to reveal this particular character, you know, and then ensues this, you know, little trailer. Yeah. And once everything kind of kickstarted and you saw all of like the amiibo characters that were all sitting in kind of this room, you saw the Smash logo, all of them were kind of um, perplexed or a little surprised Mm -hmm. at this point. And then Mario kind of steps off the podium there and he starts walking towards this flame. And then they seem to intentionally zoom into his glove as he reached out to this flame and the kind of funny crew and even myself were like, oh, it's Master Hand. And I thought, oh, what a great nod to the the first Smash Brothers yeah. to bring the main boss or villain of that game as a playable character. It just made sense to me. And then he grabs this thing and like kind of almost throws it like a boomerang. 
this flame yeah. sword thing we didn't really know what it was and then it zooms into the chain and it's the mickey mouse logo or emblem the second he grabbed it i was like oh fuck it's sora <laughs> like yes <laughs> and it was so cool because to see tim and blessing react the way i would have reacted if i was doing something on twitch reacting to this live stream and then sora comes out of the keyhole flying and floating and simple and clean plays i mean it was one of the greatest reveals for me that I've ever been able to witness live. Yeah. You know, I didn't have any nostalgic ties to Final Fantasy VII, so when Remake was announced, it didn't really do anything for me. Other Final Fantasy reveals, I, 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 nothing's coming to mind right now, but Zelda reveals, like, I don't have an attachment to those series like other people do. I love those games, but they just don't do what it does for other people. But, like, Kingdom Hearts is everything to me. It's yeah. my favorite game of all time. It probably will be for the remainder of my existence. Like, so for <laughs> Sora to come to Smash was like the icing on the cake to an already mind-boggling um, crossover for a fighting game. Yeah. So the reveal was perfect. And Sakurai's reveal was was just hysterical when <laughs> after the trailer, he's just like, what? <laughs> and then every everyone's laughing in the background. Yeah, he's like, yeah. "Oh, I'm surprised. I was surprised too that we were able to get this to work." And yeah. so him just talking through this, you know, Sora's move sets, and they are, they were able to get all of the different outfits over the course of the the series of games one through three, Dream Drop Distance, all of the games that Sora's been represented. They have those different outfits, and then Castle Oblivion being a playable stage. Um, or was it Castle Oblivion? It was Hollow Bastion, excuse <clears throat> yeah, Hall me. Bastion. Um, so all of that was just, I mean, I legitimately, and I don't really get teary-eyed unless it's a, I'm playing a game like The Walking Dead, something yeah. that's a little emotionally a moving. A Journey being another example. But I legitimately teared up, not when I watched the reveal, but when later that night I got the trailer queued up on my computer and I was able to just kind of soak it in and process it by myself. Yeah. Without all the hype of Twitter and Twitch and everything like that. That's when it like really started to set in of like, this isn't just cool that Sora's come to Smash, but I think in the same way that other people reacted when a particular character came to the game, it's a reminder of what that character or that series of games truly means to you. Yeah. You know? And that's kind of what I was able to experience and process after the fact was like, holy shit, like Kingdom Hearts means so much to me for so many different reasons and the fact that this character is coming to that game is just so special yeah i mean the soundtrack i i, I didn't have a ton of connection with it until you married lauren and pretty much you forced me to do it and get off the island um but yeah the soundtrack after going through all the game the mainline games the three one through three and then chain of memories those soundtracks are just so great mm -hmm. and like I get chills every time I hear just any of the songs. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really happy with Sora. I would have loved to have, instead of like the outfits from all the games, to have like, you can change from Sora to Riku mm. uh, or like um, any of the other ones, the blue haired girl. and the Yeah, other. Aqua. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been cool. Really just Riku's my my man. Yeah. But yeah, I... I was so happy to see him as like a final character coming into the game. Well, and what was so satisfying, you know, Sakurai and the whole team has gotten so much flack over the years 
with these character reveals. Like, the, it never did lived up to the hype. You know, people were pissed off that there's another Fire Emblem character or another person with a sword. Yeah, like Blythe or the, like, Castlevania characters. Yeah, and it's like, my gosh, people, like, this, this roster is already unprecedented. How can you possibly complain and be such a spoiled, rotten brat about it? You know? Gosh, I'm getting my 80th character and it's not the exact character I want. But what was yeah. so satisfying and refreshing for me is to go on Twitter and say and see so many people losing their mind, but also people that, you know, came out and said, hey, Kingdom Hearts doesn't do anything for me or even Smash Brothers itself doesn't do anything for me. But my gosh, am I happy for Kingdom Hearts fans and am I happy for Smash Brothers fans? And I saw so many people too say, gosh, what a fitting character to finally kind of fill out the roster and tie a knot on this perfect bow of a game. Yeah, it's always nice to see the gaming community come together as like i like this and i don't i don't play it but i'm happy for you well i feel like 99 percent of the time people are just casting stones in each other exactly you know yeah so, so the, the one time in like a million that it happens is great to see that was really cool yeah that was really cool for sure so hopefully everyone else out there is hyped for sora and smash i know some friends in the discord we got chronolink 91 uh frantic over there big kingdom hearts fans super pumped as am i couldn't have asked for a fitting character to kind of solidify that roster. Very, very good stuff. But Ryan, enough about Smash Brothers. Excuse me. Yes. Happy I want to hear, I don't know, happy is debatable. <laughs> what went down in your apartment complex earlier this week? Yeah, so it was a weird Wednesday. Um, I was just chilling, playing some games um, with the dog. And there were some noises, like some tapping. And a couple of, like taps and then all the dogs in the apartment complex. There's like one diagonal, one next to me. They all started barking and Nala getting excited at those random sounds started barking as well. And I'm like, oh, it's probably nothing, dog. Just chill out. Here's a bone. Just whatever. When you say tapping, like a knock on the door tap or like something a little bit more louder. I mean, I don't know. Like, have you ever heard a suppressed gun? Okay, yeah. Yeah, so like through multiple walls. Mm. So I'm like, it sounds like that, just a couple taps. Um, so I'm like, okay, like it's probably nothing. And then I get this long string of texts from my mom. And she's like, hey, like this is the text I got from Shelly, who is her friend who lives in the complex. Like when I go down my stairs just across the street. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. And I'm reading through it. And she's like, hey, there was like a SWAT team here and there's multiple polices, police. Um, and there was like a raid, like what's up? And she was freaking out because she lived in the town where the Sandy Hook shooting took place. Oh my gosh. So she has PTSD because she had, she was like hiding under desks and stuff. I'm like, oh, that's scary. Um, she was present in the school. No, 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 no. She was in a different school. Like, but they didn't know there was an active shooter. They didn't know what was going on. So like they locked everything. Still had to lock down their stuff. And it was still like, she's scared of gunshots and things. Yeah, of course. And uh, so I'm like, I don't know, but I'll go outside and check it out. So I locked my place, went down the stairs, and I looked up, and there's that picture that I posted in the Discord, which mm. is like the two windows blown out. There's a cop there. There's like a truck, um, and there's like a camera crew, like one dude with a camera, a police, the guy who, like the police is just kind of supervising, and there's like another guy who doesn't have like full police uniform but more like undercover looking yeah loading stuff into the back of the truck and uh my neighbor from above me comes down or like pulls up with some groceries and his girlfriend's looking out the window kind of figuring trying to see what they're loading into the truck and he's like yeah so like what's going down here and 
like we yell over to the cop like hey uh you get what you want or like you cat catch whoever and like he's on camera because it's probably like a live pd thing yeah um which i've been watching this week because it's really fascinating and he i mean he can't because it's in the middle of like an undercover investigation so he kind of like turns to the side and gives us a little thumbs up and we're like cool all right good you got whoever um but we had no idea like what was going on until one of my cost leaders said like hey he saw on the news some more details and it turns out like they had pulled someone over, like one of the three dudes who lived in this apartment, um, like a couple months ago. So they went undercover, and they ended up doing this sting where they kicked down his door. Um, I don't know why they shot out the windows, but no, the grounds crew wasn't allowed into the apartment because it's probably an active crime scene. But there was eight hundred thousand dollars worth of fentanyl. Holy in the apartment! Shit. So like a fuck ton of drugs. Um, so they're obviously going to jail for a long time, but yeah, they, they bust down the door and like the guy who lived above me, he's like, yeah, they went in with grenade launch. There was like grenade launchers. I'm like, they're in an apartment complex. It's probably not a grenade launcher. They had nuclear codes. (laughs) They They had freaking IBMs and like shit. I'm like, yeah, probably not. But like, it's probably like, uh, that kind of rotating look to like a grenade launcher that you see in video games, mm-hmm. but with like being bean bag rounds. Oh yeah. So they'd go in with that non-lethals, lethals, and like that kind of stuff. So they kicked down the door. Apparently in the text from my mom, they had like a bullhorn before they did it, kind of like announcing. Um, and then they kicked down the door and I think so like just to say like, Hey, we're entering here. Yeah. I mean, they had warrants and everything cause fuck ton of drugs, but like. They kicked down the door, and I, I don't know why they shut them out, but yeah, it sounds like they got all three dudes, and they were able to accomplish their mission. But when, like, look, going outside and seeing them, like, sh- glass on the street and, like, the shut-out windows, you're like, all right, I'm going to go inside and play some video games. <laughs> well, that's crazy because clearly the guys weren't prepared or ready or anticipating these guys to come in because no. otherwise you probably would have heard actual gunshots if they had... I. I I don't want to stereotype or assume, but they may have also had firearms with them. Well, I'm assuming, them. like, if you're going in with armored truck, like, if you have an armored truck there and you have SWAT team, you're most likely dealing with people who have weapons. And, yeah. like, if you have 800,000, like, close to a million dollars worth of drugs, you're you're going to have, like, g- guns, lots of guns. Yeah. And, like, I have my pistol at the apartment, so I feel safe. Like, i obviously not talking to my, hey, like, hey, you got drugs at your apartment kind of thing, but there's... Like, it's crazy. So, that's a condo across a street. I live in a, like, there's three levels of apartments, like, just a bedroom, kitchen, bathroom kind of thing. But, like, across the street are condos, like, three floors. Mm-hmm. And, like, the condo next to the one that was raided is actually a policeman. No way. Yeah, like, bottom floor. He's, like, it's actual a cop there. And, like, the dude below me, I think, is ex-Air Force. So, like, people, like relatively safe but like it's just that one random dude who has like a million dollars in drugs uh wow so so, i assume then you don't you don't can't explain why the windows were shot out but did you see these people being taken away i mean did they i assume they hadn't gotten shot or anything if there was no ambulance or anything like that no i i didn't see the actual raid going down shelly i think did wow and that's kind of why she was freaking out um and then she was talking to the cop when i went to get some like chicken but yeah, it was it was a weird scenario. Um, we kind of like our old the apartment complex I live in, and then like where I grew up, there's kind of like a bubble. Mm-hmm. It's like relatively safe, not 
like really any crime. It's generally like drug related crime, not like violence, but like rich suburban women taking drugs kind of thing. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I didn't expect that to be like right across the street. Yeah, it's freaky. A little too close to home for me. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but it happens, you know, it happens everywhere. But wow. Well, I'm glad you're safe. I'm glad your dog is okay, too. I mean, you never yeah. know those if those bullets went through the, the glass, which obviously they did. I mean, that could have gone through another building, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, I'm diagonal. I'm floor two. They're shooting out floor three. So, I mean, yeah. Glad I'm not collateral damage. (laughs) It doesn't sound like they actually shot the guys. It sounds like they used non-lethal, just incapacitated them, and then got them out. Mm. Um, But, yeah, it's it's weird. I actually, uh, so my mom's in a group text with Shelly, and then Alex... Alex's mom. So Alex texted me because she used to live at the apartment as mm-hmm. well. It's like freaking out like, what the hell is going on at our old apartment complex? And I was surprised that you didn't text me because if Alex is texting me and you guys were kind of like oblivious to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's like, hey, like, do you want to go to the gun range? I want a gun because like stuff around her is getting robbed. There was a truck that was stolen. And like, yeah, so we're going to go to the range next Sunday and break down everything just so we can be safe but it's it's a happy wednesday like i told like the next on thursday morning we have like a 8 30 kind of team meeting with like our, our my team has shrunk significantly but like the two other people in my t- group i was like hey so uh yesterday uh <laughs> this happened they're like oh shit because miranda's friend lives like lived right next to you guys mm-hmm. so yeah it was, uh, it well, was an eventful Wednesday. Like I said, glad you're safe. Glad your dog is safe. Um, I did not have that eventful of a week. Like I was saying, the, the most surprising and fun thing that happened to me was that Sora, Sora. came <laughs> to Smash Brothers. Outside yeah. of that, uh, Survivor 41 is not all that interesting, and I have not been very impressed with the direction of the show. Really? I won't get into that because I don't. I want to avoid spoilers for our good friends over there on the Tarkaron show, so... Um, too bad. I won't get into that, but all is well with Lorne and I, so I cannot complain. But what do you say, Ryan, we get away from the, I would say, unusual life happenings yes. this week and get into the games that we have been playing recently? All right. I'm game for that. Well, I'll kick things off. Sounds like you've got a couple of shows you want to talk about, but I'll just get into some games that I've been playing the past two weeks. The first game that I was very much anticipating coming into this year was Far Cry 6. I actually took a look at the games that I beat last year, and I beat Far Cry 3 Classic, Far Cry 5, and Far Cry Primal last year. Wow. Three Far Cry games. I was just in the mood to really dive deep into that series. And uh, it's one of those things, you know, I tweeted about it that I never... Uh, It's like the one or very few series of video games that I'm comfortable buying in on every single year because it's like going to one of your favorite restaurants. You go there for the very same meal or entree every time, and it almost always scratches the itch. You know exactly what you're going to get. That's what you do, and you get out, and it's all good. And Far Cry for me, it's been less like that more recently. Uh, Far Cry 5 was not all too impressive uh, for me, a little forgettable. Was that the one in India? No. With that, like, pink-shirted guy? No, this was in, like, Wyoming or something like oh, that. Oh, okay. Um, like, the, the radical religious group. That exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that one just didn't really do it for me because they changed the structure of, like, the outposts and everything's kind of already marked on your map. 
And you can kind of just, instead of going through the story, you can go and kind of pick out each of the outposts, take the stealth approach, the stuff that I love, you know, throwing on a podcast. And I just feel like it's a very fitting podcast open world game, but I still got through it. Far Cry 5 was pretty fun, but the sixth game I was anticipating because um, Giancarlo Esposito was going to be the villain in this one. And um, so I picked it up, I pre-ordered it on PS5, and I played about two hours of it, and I set it down kind of in favor of some more spooky season games. Okay. But the two hours that I've played, I mean, it's it's scratching the itch. It's it's definitely another Far Cry game. I don't think it does anything to really evolve the series in any significant way. If you've liked previous Far Cry games, you're probably going to like this one. And you might even like this one just a little bit more because you have a pet alligator named Guapo, <laughs> which is, nice. I believe, handsome in Spanish. And you can literally command him to go eat uh, the bad guys. That's awesome. So that's pretty sweet. And eventually you get like a little wiener dog with the wheelchair. Um, I was going to say, yeah, I don't know if you got him yet. Haven't got that little guy. I think his name is, um, oh, I forget. It escapes me, but something really clever and funny. Um, so, so yeah, that's definitely something I'll probably pick back up in November. But what has taken most of my time the past two weeks is Resident Evil 3, being one game this of course is the remake that came out i believe last year if i'm not mistaken you play as jill valentine raccoon city has gone to hell with the virus and uh, it was so interesting you know the game opens up talking about how this virus got out of this facility and now this whole city's gone to hell yeah and the fact that this came out like just before the onset of the pandemic <laughs> it was just all too coincidental and a little weird. Yeah. Um, but Jill Valentine is... Luckily, um, we didn't all turn to zombies. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Count your blessings, people. Um, it's a little things in life. <laughs> that's right. Uh, but yeah, no, Resident Evil 3 is great. The only thing that people seem, or one of the biggest things people seem to complain about is that it's too short. Mm-hmm. Is that the one we beat together? No, we beat Resident Evil 2. Okay. Um, which there's kind of two campaigns there both with Clay Redfield and Leon Kennedy this one I kind of like because you get to play as two of the people both Jill Valentine and this guy named Carlos Mm -hmm. and the story is told in such a way where you kind of swap between characters you know Jill goes down Carlos has to go out and find a vaccine for her to kind of bring her and nurse her back to health I kind of preferred how that kind of ping pong back and forth between characters whereas Resident Evil 2 you play through both characters' campaigns, and then once you've played through both, you kind of see that there were two storylines going on you at know, the same time. At the same time, yeah. I kind of prefer getting to play as both in the same ca- same campaign. I also will say that I preferred Nemesis over uh, Mister X, yeah, the main guy in Resident Evil Two. I just felt like in two, you never had an opportunity to explore the the police station, yeah. and I think that's certainly intentional with the game they always want you to be on your toes with him following you but i felt like nemesis was always kind of inserted himself in the story at a time where i'm like all right i'm ready to run away from this guy yeah you know i i had enough exploring of a certain area time to you know fight this guy again and uh it ended pretty well i enjoyed it the gun plays tight exactly what you'd expect from um one of those earlier resident evil games and the remakes are just so impressive. I mean, the lighting, the graphics, the controls. One of the things that was most impressive for me 
and you saw it in Remake 2 as well, was just the hit detection of the mm-hmm. zombies whenever you'd shoot them in the face or the shoulder. Just how their bodies responded to those bullets was so realistic. Yeah. Pretty pretty cool stuff. Um, but yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's also one of those things that uh, encourage re- encourages replayability. While it doesn't have New Game Plus, you unlock this shop of sorts. So depending on how... Um, well, you did your first playthrough, you unlock a currency to be able to unlock certain weapons and outfits for the characters that you can go back and um, kind of start the game with some of those uh, better weapons. Oh, cool. So um, Resident Evil 3, really good time, a great game for me to kind of kick off the spooky season. So I enjoyed that. And because I like Jill Valentine so much, I went back to um, a game called Resident Evil Revelations. This originally released on the 3DS. It's a game that I really enjoyed on the 3DS. I thought graphically was very impressive at the time. And um, it. I'm also playing this one on the PS4. Okay. So they ported it to the current gen systems. And it plays really well. You know, I mean, it definitely shows its age or it shows, um, you know, how restricted it was for the 3DS because most of the, the zombies or the enemies that you're facing kind of all look the same, yeah. you know? Uh, you go to one environment, they all look the same. You go to the next, might be a different enemy, but they all look the same. Um, but still a heck of a lot of fun. And what I like about this uh, particular Resident Evil game is it's split into episodes and chapters. And after you beat each episode, it's kind of like watching... Um, like a Walking Dead or something? Walking Dead or Lost or something like that, where it's like... Last time on Resident Evil Revelations. Oh, that's cool. And it kind of walks you through the key story beats. So if I did put this down and shelve it for a couple weeks and came back to it, I'd be brought up to speed pretty quick about what's going on. That's so, really nice. Um, Resident Evil Revelations, pretty fun. Um, I'm kind of just playing that casually at night. And uh, I think it takes about, you know, eight, ten hours. So hopefully we'll be able to wrap that up here in October. But the last game... I've been playing and I'll talk about before handing off the baton to you is a little game called pumpkin Jack. This is something that's been on my radar (laughs) for a while. I remember when the indie dev team started kind of promoting it and marketing it and saying, Hey, add it to your steam wish list. I added it to my steam wish list many moons ago. I remember it came out, but I kind of didn't pay much attention to it. Didn't pick it up at launch because with these games, I always kind of have high hopes that it'll eventually come to console. Yeah. It eventually did. So I downloaded it on the PS4 a couple nights ago, and this is exactly what I wanted it to be. It's a 3D platformer where you play as a scarecrow with a pumpkin head. Very quickly, you were introduced to this raven or crow that is kind of like your little um, minion or sidekick character very much like the Kazooie to your banjo. And the dialogue and writing is, is certainly reminiscent of the Banjo-Kazooie. While they don't talk the, the gibberish speak that you hear in those games, it, it's just very witty banter back and forth between nice. characters and boss battles. There's about five to six environments, as you'd kind of expect from a very Halloween-y type game. You're going into like these um, haunted mines, grave um graveyards and things like that uh you can beat each level in about you know you know 30 to 40 minutes and uh you you can beat the whole game in probably about three to five hours so 
pretty short, but a perfect spooky season 3D platformer. If you're looking for something like that, this is definitely going to scratch the itch. And uh, while the music isn't anything to write home about, it definitely has some subtle little Grant Kirkhope uh, vibes and tunes that, you know, if Grant Kirkhope ever composed a soundtrack specifically for a, a Halloween type 3D platformer, this is definitely something that um, I think he'd he kind of composed something similar to the soundtrack to this. So um, it's a pretty fun game. Doesn't do anything to, you know, blow anyone away for the 3D platforming genre. But I think it's um, it's impressive enough where I'd, I'd, I'd comfortably recommend this to people that, you know, enjoy, as I always say, stuff like New Super Lucky's Tale and Ukulele. Cool. So. That's it, Ryan. That's Definitely all I've been playing this week. For all those games, <laughs> platformers, yeah. and Resident Evil. Resident Evil, Far, Far Cry, Cry 6. Yeah, so I'll definitely be getting back to Far Cry 6 probably at the end of this month. But I figured I might as well prior- prioritize the horror spooky stuff um, while we're still in the season for it. Yeah. So what about you? What have you been playing? What have you been watching this this past two weeks? So this goes back a couple weeks. Um so I finished a couple shows. Um, the first one is Hunter x Hunter, which oh, I've yeah. been trying to wrap up. Um, there's long season five. So it's about, what, like 18 episodes per season for about six seasons with season five being 60. So that's kind of the main arc. And I, I really enjoyed it. It's Gone is kind of one of the bigger characters in like the overall animes. He's the little kid like 12 or so with black and green hair um and i've always seen his picture i'm like this i've heard this is a good anime ben really liked it he watched it back when it came out um and yeah it was great it was a good time nice Uh, worth watching um if you have a bat or add to your backlog of anime how many seasons was this i think it was six yeah and how many episodes per season i i just ran over all that but (laughs) did you really (laughs) yeah it was about 18 episodes per season for all seasons except for season five. Which I was apologize. 16. I don't know how I, I <laughs> glossed over Here's that. all of this. Hey, what was that? <laughs> My bad. My bad. You need some coffee, bro. I do. Now, would you compare this to any any other anime you've watched? Like, is it more like Castlevania compared so to Dragon So this one Z? is kind of like the main premise is Gone is a little kid and his dad became a hunter. Um, and they kind of go through what that is through the seasons. But he's like... Hey, I don't know why my dad left me to become this hunter. Um, I want to become a hunter as well to see why what was so great on why he left me. So the first season's kind of like him going through the trial to become a hunter, and then it kind of expands on that. Mm. Now, what's the show about? <laughs> <laughs> well, Rusty, it's about this kid named Gone, and his dad left. Jeez. <laughs> uh. <laughs> The funny thing, like, so we've been, I came over around, like, 10.30, and we've been listening to fucking Coldplay's new awesome album. It's horrible. And, like, drinking coffee, and we've talked for maybe, like, an hour and a half, so, like, front end, we've talked a lot, and now we're at the point where Rusty's not listening to me anymore, <laughs> <laughs> and we still have, like, two or three more hours of recording to go. Ah, uh, it's what, we, it's what Hit, you get We're on. hitting early, like, usually it's, like, midway through the main segment that you're, like... I don't give a shit what Ryan says anymore, yeah. but like going through video games and like what we've played, that's an early start for you, dude. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be so much yeah. fun. Can't wait to get to the game. <laughs> Can't wait stuff. to listen to none of what Ryan says. <laughs> oh, I love you, man. It's yeah. So Hunter x Hunter, um, 
it's definitely worth the watch. Um, probably one of my f- favorite series. I, I haven't watched a ton, um, but yeah, definitely up there worth watching. Good stuff. Um, and then I started Squid Game. That's mm. kind of been taking the internet by storm. Like it's fucking everywhere. I can't get away from it. Um, I watched maybe two and a half episodes. I'm like halfway through episode three. It's a weird premise. Uh, I like the uniqueness of it. I, it's it's somewhat stressful though. Um, so that's kind of why I put it aside to watch a different show, which was more uplifting and more up my alley. So before we get to that show, is it living up to the hype? Like, is it worth all the attention it's getting right now? Um, so you, you, I don't know. I'm gaining more respect for the Korean filmmaking. Oh yeah. Um, so like you have Parasite, which is really good. You had Train to Busan. Like the the father from Train to Busan is in mm, uh, mm-hmm. Squid Game. Um, and then there, I, I think there's some other characters as well. But yeah, I mean the first step, like the overall main premise is it's it's following this one guy. He has a name. I don't remember it. It's been a couple weeks. It's okay. And he has money problems. And he meets a dude and he says hey, I have a way for you to make money. Let's play a game in the mm. subway. And he makes a little bit of money. And then he's like, hey, do you want to make some more money playing some games? And then it goes kind of into the main premise. Where gotcha. A bunch of people who are fucked financially, like hundreds of millions of won in the hole, which is hundreds of thousand dollars in US money. And uh, yeah, that's kind of the main premise. It just play games, make money. Hmm get swole you know so kind of a unique take on hunger games is what pretty I much yeah yeah with some yeah. weird overlord who controls the game okay so cool. yeah it, it's unique um I'll, I'll definitely eventually finish it you just have to be in that mood yeah um the korean films are oddly violent and like very good at showing violence yeah um I mean, like, just thinking of Train to Busan, like, how crazy intense that was. Yeah. It's not quite, it's not zombies, but, like, it's, they're really good at what they do. Yeah. Now, I'm looking forward to getting around to it. Lauren and I, I'll just pop in really quickly and say two things Lauren I've been watching, and then I want to hear this last thing you've been watching. Um, We've been going through, like, ever since Lauren and I got married, there's been, like, three to four different shows that we've gone through uh, since we've gotten married. The biggest one that we went through when we first got married was Grey's Anatomy. We watched like 12 seasons of it. Yeah. And then I introduced her when we were still dating before we got married to Lost. Mm-hmm. That was a big one. And then like year two, I think of marriage, we want, went through Parenthood, which was really good stuff. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, Gilmore Girls and stuff like that. I was going to say, you definitely watch Gilmore Girls like three times. Well, I watched it once, but you know, by, you know, association of being near Lauren, I've watched it like about 14 times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cause she's always, it's got always that. on when I'm over here. She's always got that show going. Uh, but another one that we watched, I think also maybe when we were dating or engaged was Friday night lights. Yeah. It's a show that. that came out in like the earlier two thousands subsequent to the film coming out. And it's also like Lauren and I love those feel good, like life lesson type shows. Yeah. We've gone through Boy Meets World twice. Parenthood's another good example of that. Even Gilmore Girls being one. Um, but Friday Night Lights is just so raw and real with its and this characters. Is kind of like Remember the Titans kind of feel. Sort of, yeah. But, it, you know, it's high school football. Um, you have this coach. They live in this hole in the wall town in Dillon, Texas. And, you know, for them, football is life. You know, it's, it's yeah. everything to them. Um, but As it should be for everyone. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Um, but no, it, it's just uh, it's just a really great drama. So we've been going through like that. like early Michael B. Jordan, right? Yeah. So he actually, 
what's special about the show is that a lot of people, this is where they first got recognized. This is what kind of kickstarted a lot of these people's careers. Yeah. Um, one of them being Michael B. Jordan, who ends up coming onto the show in like season four. Um, and he's like a super scrawny kid. He's tiny. Yeah. This yeah. is like pre uh, Black Panther kind of. Creed. Like, yeah. yeah. No, he's a tiny guy. Um, but you, he's he's Michael B. Jordan in it. You know, you totally understand why he kind of catapulted into fame after this because he's a great actor, you yeah. know, and especially in some of the more emotional scenes, he he's a great crier, you know, he's he's intense when he needs to be. Um, he's just a great actor, you know? Yeah, and I mean, like, his performance in Creed 2 was amazing. Because, I mean, besides all the, like, fighting, there's some emotional stuff that goes on in Creed 2 that He's also like, just such a likable dude. Yeah, he's just a fucking man's man. He's hot. He is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, for sure. But, um, but yeah, no, Friday Night Lights, it's on Netflix, which is why Lauren and I kind of went back to that. So we've been going through that. And then more recently, uh, yesterday, you... Y-O-U season three dropped on Netflix, which is just a fucking crazy show. Like, I don't even know how to describe it other than there's this really creepy um, dude who stalks women. And somehow when you watch the show, you're still rooting for him. Even after he does all this crazy stuff. He was in a different chick flick show. Yeah, Penn Badgley is his name. He was also in Gossip Girl. That's what I'm thinking of, yeah. And he has not aged in the past, like, 20 years. I know, years. right? What the heck? Yeah. Either um, has Blake Lively, who was also in that show. Yeah, that's right. So um, we watched three episodes of that last night. You know, it's one of those things that they continue to up the ante with each passing season. And w- with what went down in season two, like, you didn't think they could get any crazier I'm at the end of season two. Yeah. Um, I don't remember where I left off, like what episode out of what episode, but I know I'm closer to the end. Yeah, it's crazy, uh, to say the very least. And season three is even crazier. Um, Are they in space? Like, Fast and the Furious? (laughs) No, but they just robbed a bank and it's actually tied to the back of their car. Oh, shit. Like $100 million. Exactly. Um, no, it's nothing like that. Um, but I was also prepping notes last night for the podcast while I was watching. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of passively invested in what was going on. And I don't know, it's even being like, you know, just not being fully invested while I was watching. It just wasn't gripping me. And even Lauren said like, this is a little slower than prior seasons. So we'll probably pick that up later tonight. Okay. Um, and watch a little bit more, but, um, I think season one and two are certainly worth watching. So if you're interested in a show with an absolute creepo um, who stalks people and gets himself into a lot of trouble and has a pretty uh, traumatic past, check it out. You on Netflix. If you're into stalking and you want to learn how, watch you. Who the hell is it? You know, (laughs) am I right? Yeah. Uh, All right, Ryan. So what what were you watching outside of Squid Game? Yeah. So Squid Game, it's like English voice acted over the Korean actors. Um, and then the second or the third one that I watched that I binge watched the two seasons that's on Netflix right now is Ragnarok. What? So what is that? I, I saw a clip from a movie. I think it's called the mortal or something. It's based off of like just a dude who turns out to be Thor and he didn't realize he was Thor. Hmm. Um, so it's like some, it's the actor from inheritance. Was it inheritance? Heredity. 
You know that like boy <laughs> hereditary hereditary yes that one the one who like turns into the like the demon god guy oh yeah who's also into that like old movie yeah so he he was in a movie called I think it's the mortal where he turns out to be like lineage from Thor and he's like getting electricity he's like what the fuck is going on kind of thing uh-huh. and then he finds a hammer and that kind of stuff and I saw a clip like the end scene of that and I was like that's a really weird premise. And then Nick, after we cooked uh, taco salad last Saturday, we were uh-huh. just scrolling through Netflix shows. Trying Who's to, Nick? Uh, Nikki is uh, my friend from high school. Got it. Um, so we found this one and I'm like, I like that premise. And it's people, it's basically like follows this kid and his brother in Norway. And it's whatever, Norwegian, Norwegian. Is what they, they're speaking in a voiceover in English, similar to Squid Game. But it's this guy who's, they moved to a new town, and he he basically starts getting the abilities of Thor. And there's so many, like, if you follow, like, coming out of God of War, there's so many different, like, references in the mythology that you start seeing throughout the show for the two seasons. And I enjoyed all of my time with it. It was great. Um, I don't want to spoil anything, just if you know Norse mythology, like a decent amount or a little bit, you'll really enjoy and start picking up on things mm. through the episodes before it's revealed. Very cool. And this is on Netflix, you said? Yep. Two seasons. Good deal. Is it over? Uh, I don't believe so. I don't think season three has been officially announced. It doesn't end in a way that would kind of conclude everything but is this a netflix exclusive or is this i believe it's a netflix exclusive okay okay um, very cool but definitely an, an interesting take on mythology um instead of having like the marvel cinematic universe of like chris hemsworth or this is just like a dude yeah it, it's it's a cool take on the mythology good stuff ryan well anything else for you this week <laughs> yeah so those are the shows um i dabbled in a few different games i was playing minecraft uh, for a bit working on my world which i've kind of put aside i'm waiting for the was the new update that's going to come maybe like march of next year which completely redoes does the cave systems um pokemon go a little bit i have a pokestop at my apartment oh good god dude this is why you and nikki are like the worst people to be around <laughs> i know it's bad so i i kind of put that aside this week um i after seeing the sora announcement i picked up kingdom hearts 3 my goal for that is to get the platinum by the end of the year so I can get Elden Ring as my 10th. Oh, that's a cool yeah. milestone. Uh, I mean, f- me getting one platinum is a huge milestone, let alone 10. So, Well, speaking of platinum trophies, I want to take a moment to congratulate a very good friend of this show, Blink, Steve Blinkum. Find him over at, out, out on the Twitch and uh, he records two great podcasts, Indie Quest with our good friend Frantic and also polykill out there with our good friend trav he recently got his 50th platinum trophy for a game that he now deems i think might be his favorite game of all time wow yeah he got the platinum in ukulele last week dude the best game ever from what i've heard i'm kidding he actually got it in the outer wilds oh another amazing game yeah so that's the You described it as like a little time loop survival type of thing. Yeah, pretty much. Like I think it's, I complete. I haven't played it, but I think it's like every seven or some amount of time 
the sun explodes. Yeah. And you're kind of trying to find your way through the universe to get to the end of whatever. Well, because and of his... Lo- it, people love it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, people seem to love it. Uh, and because of his influence many moons ago, um, he tends to force me... Not force me, but because of his influence, I buy a lot of games and lose a lot of money. <laughs> um, I bought Thanks, Outer Wilds a while back, but I haven't gotten into it. But because... He speaks so highly of it. I think it's about time I might check that game out. You should. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's a lot of people's like favorite game of all time. Yeah. So big deal. Congrats, Blink, once again. But Ryan, back to you with this Platinum Journey. Yeah. Games. Now with my uh, comparatively shittier achievement with 10 Platinums as my goal. It's still a big deal. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So number 10 is what I want for Elden Ring. So I need to get my ninth. I currently have eight. And uh, I'm like 72%. I know... You originally wanted that to be one of your milestones for Platinums. I think it was like 40th, but, you know, we're 20 Platinums later. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't know what it was, but it was definitely a higher amount of Platinums. But, yeah. Yeah, I I started doing that journey with you. I got like 72%. I've got the blades or the Ultima blade and that kind of stuff. I just have some cleanup, basically. I was working on some of the chests, so I knocked out basically all the world's chest wise except for two which is like san francisco and like the pirates of the caribbean and this is I, like co- going through and collecting all the little treasure yeah chests. there's a bunch of treasure chests throughout the world yeah. um <laughs> i have some other tinier ones like make food and stuff but the flan stuff is basically all wrapped up which is kind of the main hurdle so mm-hmm. i'm glad to get that over with um but yeah kingdom hearts 3 is great and then lastly animal crossing that's just a comfort food game uh, my goal is, so like I had wrapped up, I, I talked about it probably last time or the time before that, my goal for kind of completing an uncompletable game is to finish my house, which I have, and then finish my island to what I see as acceptable. And I wrapped up a lot of different areas this week. I had like a spooky graveyard that I wanted to do, which is kind of Halloween themed, um, got that done. I wrapped up like the shopping district, a flower garden, and then I'm making like a little fish market on the beach, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now I have one area left, which I is my little putt-putt golf course Oh, um, up near my house, which is three different themes. Kind of got like the space theme with mm-hmm. all the space stuff for shooting stars. I have like little monuments, which is generally what you see at like those courses. Um, and then like a little pirate area. So it's mapped out. I just have to put some trees in there and then I can feel good wrapping up my animal crossing experience. Um, but yeah, it's like similar to your experience seeing Sora or like that being a huge reveal, um, animal crossing for me for switch was like that level of hype. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely a fun game. I still have Bioshock that I have to play for the Gentleman's Challenge, and then I started Ukulele, got some pages. I had completed a bit on the PS4 originally, uh, but I have to start over on the PS5, so mm. just mm. making my way through that. Okay, very cool. Well, I, I found the camera for Ukulele to move way faster than I expected to. In a good or bad way? Uh, it's quick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I just have to get used to it. So I'll probably be playing those throughout the week. Um, yeah. Good, Good stuff. Well, I'm glad you're going back to ukulele. That's always, you know, music to my ears. And uh, 
Another PSA, I, I think I do it every episode. I, I tend to get, you know, at least 30 cents royalties for when I mention ukulele on the podcast here. So thanks, Platonic Games. Everyone out there, go play ukulele. One of the greatest games of the past 10 years. Everyone knows it, but I just got to. <laughs> I'm sitting next to like a foot tall plushie of ukulele. <laughs> got to remind so, the good people. Got to remind yeah. the good people. Well, lots of inter- interesting stories this week, or at least one of them. Hopefully everyone uh, was encouraged to go out there and play some Resident Evil, some Animal Crossing. All of that fun stuff. And don't sleep on my boy Pumpkin Jack. You can get it, I think, just on about every platform today. PC, Switch, Xbox, PlayStation. Fun little 3D platformer. But Ryan, I think we are at about that time in the episode when we should get into the main topic of the show. What do you say? Yeah, and you're starting to listen to me again, so I think we're about that time to uh, get into it. I think so. Let's do it. Yeah. Ryan, here we are in the main topic of the show. As we discussed at the top of the episode, we are going to be celebrating and talking about the 20th or near 20th anniversary of the Nintendo GameCube, bringing back a segment we kickstarted not too long ago called the Destiny Island Challenge. So if you're a new listener here, or maybe you didn't catch our segment a couple uh, months back at this point, Ryan and I started a segment for the show called the Destiny Island Challenge. So if you're familiar with Kingdom Hearts, that name might sound familiar. And, you know, everyone loves the age-old question of, if you're on a desert island, you know, what video games or movies are you going to take with you? Ryan and I wanted to put a fun spin on that. You know, Ryan and I, I would say me specifically, have a, a, a greater history with video games and the consoles that I got growing up and have played since. Um, you not so much, but you still have played a number of video game consoles, Mm -hmm. but for the both of us, we thought, how cool would it be if we just dumped the list of all video game consoles, both home console and handheld in a spreadsheet and did a segment around researching the console, getting a history of when it came out, how well it performed, some of the best games, some of the hidden gems on the system and revolved a whole segment around that. And it'd be really fun for the for the both of us to get a better history of the system, maybe inspire us to go out and get the console and buy some games for it. But also, you know, if we have a friend out there that's a huge fan of the system, how cool would it be to also bring that person on to reminisce and talk about a particular system? Yep. So that's really what this this whole segment is about. And as the name implies, not only are we going to talk about a bunch of fun facts history with the system if it came out when the internet was a thing maybe even share some fun advertisements on the old youtubes and then finally talking about 
the top five games that we would take with us for that system on a deserted island, particularly Destiny Island, with our pals Riku and Kyrie. And that's kind of what we did a few months ago. Yeah. A system that you and I were not really familiar with, didn't grow up with, but we know a lot of people love, and that's the Sega Genesis. So back in the summer, Ryan and I kickstarted this segment with that console. I certainly learned a lot about the system. Yeah, me too. And I think we also got a better appreciation uh, of the actual game library for the Genesis. And I know kind of going through that exercise with the GameCube this time around was kind of the same thing. There's a lot of hidden gems on that system. Yeah, there are. But I went through like top 100 games for the GameCube, and there's a lot that I I didn't play at all. <laughs> so, um, yeah, definitely a fun experience and fun exercise. Definitely. So that's kind of what we're going to be doing today. Ryan has some general trivia around when it was released, the cost at launch, sales numbers, <clears throat> some of the best-selling games. I have 10 really interesting, I think, personally, fun facts that hopefully um, some of you out there won't really know. Uh, it's going to be really, really good times. But what I have here, Ryan, is kind of just this opening statement of sorts that I found out on the internet that kind of describes what the GameCube is, and then we can kind of get into uh, the meat and potatoes of the discussion. What do you say? Sounds like a plan. All righty. So kind of the introduction here for the GameCube, uh, kind of speaking about Nintendo here and the system itself, they created a discussion about the importance of software over hardware. And while they didn't focus as much on graphics um, as its competitors at the time, the GameCube could still hold its own. And I think we could probably still say the same today with Nintendo's subsequent systems. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. But anyways, moving right along here, many felt that creating a console within such a form factor was next to impossible. But as the company tends to do, they were able to beat the odds improved, and prove that it could be done. Not only were they able to shrink down key components in an efficient way, but they were able to do so in a way that allowed them to save the consumer a considerable amount of money. It was a durable powerhouse of a console that introduced us to some of the greatest titles of all time. Ryan, this is the Nintendo GameCube. How do you keep making the greatest games? You start with a platform, one that blends power and agility with a singular purpose. You base everything you do on the art of the developer and your true knowledge of the players. Then you make it affordable and available. Add a generous helping of pure Nintendo fun, and you call it GameCube. Okay, Ryan, so why don't you go ahead and kickstart with some of the general facts? Yeah, sure. I mean, going off of what you stated, um, their preference or their focus on the software versus hardware, I actually have a, a kind of a quote from their president at the time. So GameCube's strategy was to undercut Sony and Microsoft by about 100 bucks, mm. pricing the GameCube at $199. Um, which would assume that the other two were sitting around 300. Mm -hmm. um, speaking, I mean, that's expensive in 2001 money. Oh, yeah. Compared to today, that would be what closer to $50 higher, I'd assume. Probably. 
So from their president back in 2002, Hiroshi Yamuchi, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, his quote was, people do not play the game machine itself. They play the they play with the software and they are forced to purchase the game machine in order to use the software. Therefore, the price of the machine should be as cheap as possible, hmm. um, which is a cool thing to think about the consumer um, and a focus on the games is kind of what Nintendo's strategy was. Yeah, and well, it was just amazing that that's rung true for the past 20 years. You know, you have the Wii was very similar, although you had the functionality of the, the Wiimotes and the motion control and all of that, but graphically still took a significant hit when compared to the 316 PS3. And then even beyond that, the Wii U, we won't talk about it, but the Switch certainly took, I wouldn't say a significant hit, but you look at something even like Skyrim that was ported to the Switch versus playing on a PS5 or PS4, it looks quite a bit different. Yeah. But it's all about the games, always has been. And, you know, many presidents later, uh, Reggie Filzame and now Doug Bowser, they've all kind of uh, stayed true to that philosophy. And from what I was like from my research, apparently the GameCube had higher specs than the PlayStation 2 at its launch. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, I guess uh, overall facts, I can run through kind of release date and units sold. Um, so overall, release dates for um, the GameCube in Japan first launched in Japan on September of 2001. Um, comparing that to PlayStation 2, which launched in March of 2000, so about a year and a half wow. later. Um, so they had a big gap for PlayStation to pick up a lot of market share. Um, which, and it really shows in the overall sales of the system. Which makes sense um, because, you know, the the N64 still had a lot of pretty significant gems in the year 2000. Uh, one of the biggest ones that comes to mind for me is Perfect Dark. Yeah. And then I could be wrong, but I feel like Majora's Mask could have been 2000 because Ocarina of Time was 98. So it makes sense that maybe 99, 2000 is the when Majora's game. Mask kind of came out. So... Um, but yeah, a year and a half later, following when the N64 got annihilated by the PS1, yeah, uh, it's it's crazy that it was a year and a half later before the GameCube ended up coming out. Yeah, it didn't it sound it didn't sound like Nintendo was too worried because they saw that their specs were higher than the PlayStation 2, but mm -hmm. sales will show otherwise. Yeah. Um, so in two days, November 18th, um, will be the 20th anniversary. So it launched November 18th of 2001. Um, great day for the universe. Um, and then EU was May of 2002. And then Australia was a little bit later in May of 2002. Overall sales for worldwide is about 21.75 million units. It's That's crazy insane. to see how big the industry has grown. I mean, even just looking at some of the top selling games, but like the, the games industry has grown so much in the last 20 years. I mean, I think the... Every quarter, the Switch almost sells like five to eight million units. Exactly. So, yeah. like, I mean, even looking at the Wii sales, like, it's fucking massive. Yeah. Um, going into that's actually the of that console generation, the third highest selling. Um, so the first highest selling was the PS2, obviously, with 155 million units. Which I think is it still the best selling console? I believe so yeah i mean I think if not the ps4 picked it up but i don't think they ran through 155 yeah the wii is definitely up there the I wii ps4 i think are pretty high up there yeah yeah for sure I, th I think eventually maybe the switch will 
if they don't add multiple generations, a Switch could overtake over time. I think the family of Switch consoles absolutely yeah. will. Base base version, light, the OLED, you know, the XL 4K versions coming out pretty soon, or at least in the next two years. So I think the Switch family of consoles, it's very safe to say that that's going to be knocking on PS2's door pretty soon. Yeah, I think so. Um, and then it's crazy. I mean, the Xbox was huge. I had an Xbox at the time. Oh, so good. Um, they sold 24 million, which is only about 2.25 million higher than the GameCube. Which, I mean, like everyone at that time, for me at least, was playing Halo on Xbox Live. Which is a big deal for, you know, Microsoft's first introduction or, you know, um, stab at the video game industry. Yeah, you know, no, it's a hell of a first go. I mean, Nintendo's yeah. been doing it for a while, and they were selling only $21 million. Um, And then lastly, at $9 million is Dreamcast. Mm. So a distant fourth. Interesting. Uh, and then so worldwide was 21 America was basically $13 million of that. Japan was 4 and then other was another 4 Interesting. Um, and then so top-selling games, I'll go through the top five with their number of units and then just list out the bottom uh, five for okay. the top ten. So number one was Super Smash Bros. Melee. Makes Super sense. Super Bros. The attachment rate was probably almost one to one. It was seven point four one million units. Oh, okay, a little bit lower than I guess I yeah, anticipated. About third of everyone. Um, next is Double Dash, Mario Kart Double Dash, <sighs> at just under seven million. Um, you have Sunshine, about six point two eight million. Zelda, uh, Wind Waker at 4.4, so a big drop-off yeah. from the Sunshine. And then the fifth one is uh, Luigi's Mansion, which was a launch title at 3.3 million. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, the bottom five, he goes Metroid Prime, Animal Crossing, Mario Party 4, Pokemon Coliseum, and Hell yeah. Mario Party 5. And by the time you get to Mario Party 5, you're sitting around 2.17 million per uh item or per Unit title sold. yeah, yeah. Hmm. um so yeah good list of t- i mean solid games those are classics in my eyes oh yeah um as far as launch titles go for just japan and u.s so japan launched september 14th of 2001 and they had three launch titles luigi's mansion wave race blue storm and super monkey ball mm. so a small number of launch titles um and then you get to november of the same year so a month later, um, for the U.S. launch, you had a good amount of games. Um, the most notable is Star Wars Rogue Squadron 2, mm-hmm. a Rogue Leader, which was kind of the big, holy shit, looks amazing game. You had All-Star Baseball 2002, Batman Vengeance, Crazy Taxi. No idea what that is. What? Um, the arcade crazy- game. Is it? Oh, okay. Yeah, I, the I know offspring. What that is. What's up? Um, Disney Tarzan mm-hmm. Untamed. Oh, that yeah. Sounds hot. Um, Luigi's Mansion. You had some Madden NFL 2002, probably a classic. Then you got like Tony Hawk and Wave Race as well. That's a pretty sizable launch lineup. For US, it is. For Japan, they got screwed a little bit. But well, when you think later, about, you know, the Super Nintendo that basically I think launched with Super Mario World and Pilot Wings and then. Subsequently, the N64, I think, the launch titles for at least U.S. or North America was um, Super Mario 64 and, again, Pilot Wing 64, maybe one other game. But normally they had something like a Mario to debut with the system, and then they also had 
some type of tech demo like a pilot wings to show yeah. what the console was capable well, of. Well, Switch was what? It was Zelda um, and then you had Mario as well. Did Mario Odyssey launch with the Switch? No, I think Odyssey came like out in 2018 or okay. 17. So then I guess you had Zelda. Yeah. Breath of the Wild, but that was a huge launch title. Well, like even the Wii, you know, Twilight Princess, Red Steel, and then like Wii Sports, Mario Rabbids, Wii Sports, a bunch of other random sports games, a Call of Duty 3 port, something like that. But um, earlier on, it was pretty typical of Nintendo to just have like two games. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, good lineup for the US. Um, so do you want to get into the fun facts? Yeah, absolutely. So everyone buckle up, you know, cozy on up on the couch, wherever this episode finds you, like I always say. I hope it finds you well, and I hope some of these fun facts come to you uh, as new news, because as Ryan and I preach on this podcast, this is what, Ryan? It's an educational program. Thank you so much. That might be the first time in the podcast's history that you've been able to finish one of those things that I tee up for you. <laughs> It wasn't our email address, <laughs> so I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I stopped listening to you a while back. Most Maybe people just do. To, yeah. Yeah. Lauren does it all the time. All right. So this first fun fact, I, I think we get a little bit more interesting as we go. Hopefully. The last fun fact I think is pretty special, but kicking things off, you've kind of already alluded to it with the launch lineup, but this first one I have is missing a key character at launch. While Mario has been the face of every Nintendo console, the GameCube was the first and only Nintendo console to not have one of its launch titles feature everyone's favorite plumber. The reason, of course, was because they were going to introduce us to Luigi's Mansion, one of the all-time best games for the system. Sure, it wasn't the platformer we were used to, but that was what made it something truly special. Which, if there's one thing that I think reigns true for the entirety of the GameCube's history, is, for me, it's one of Nintendo's greatest risks that they've taken releasing a system without Mario at launch in Luigi's Mansion, and even a number of their characters that went different directions. You know, I look at something like Star Fox Adventures, which, you know, was originally Dinosaur Planet, and then it eventually became, we needed to make it more mainstream, a character that people were familiar with, so we include Star Fox. You look at something like Kirby Air Ride, where we're normally playing a little side-scrolling 2D platformer, now we have this weird on-rails, like, racing-type game. Yeah. The, the GameCube is littered with all kinds of examples where when we heard the name Donkey Kong or we heard the name Kirby, we kind of expected a certain type of game and GameCube kind of flipped everything on its head and said, no, we're going to mix things up this time. Maybe it was to its detriment considering it didn't sell super well, but regardless, I'm glad that Nintendo kind of stayed true to what they they had envisioned for some of their characters and they did some really weird shit with their characters. I mean, even adding flood or the like a water hose to Mario. That's another a great example. Really odd risk. I'm um, not everyone likes it. I fucking love it. But like, yeah, I, I like the risk taking of Nintendo in this generation. For Absolutely. Sure. And while we didn't get Mario at launch, Ryan, we all know that Super Mario Sunshine eventually made its way to the system. Yes. The world of special play. Cherish life and never waste. Everyone loves a sunshiny day. We're gonna keep it that way. Let's clean is better than dirty, and dirty's meaner than clean. Let's all lend a helping hand. Mario can't do it alone. He'll spray his water to fly around and clean the sludge that's on the ground. Let's clean is better than dirty, and dirty's meaner than clean. Super Mario Sunshine, only for Nintendo GameCube. Great for everyone. 
Let's get right back into the fun facts, Ryan. This next one I have is a console by another name. For those familiar with the GameCube, probably are you know, pretty familiar with this fun fact, but when it comes to consoles, setting a code name is nothing new. Companies do it to help generate interest and it helps to drive speculation about what their next system might be. In the case of the GameCube, things go a bit odd when it was discovered what the code name for the system actually was. Having a code name like Dolphin had many scratching their heads. For starters, it didn't really say a lot about the system itself, and many wondered just exactly why it was that the co- or just exactly what the company was planning. Speculation about the code name continued long after the system was released, and many wondered if it was the originally intended name given that there are references to it within various games, such as Super Mario Sunshine, which takes place in Isle Delfino. And you got to think too, Wave Race Motor Storm or whatever the heck that subtitle was, Blue Storm. Yeah, it's weird hearing the code names. This wasn't one of the newer generations like Phoenix or something like that or... They've had some weird ones over the years. Well, the Revolution was the Wii, which I think they still probably should have stuck with that code name. I think the Revolution for a console would have been awesome. That would have been awesome. Yeah. Does the Wii stand for anything? W-I-I? Or just... No, I think it's just a weird naming convention for Nintendo. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, the next one I have, Ryan, were or is the games that never were. Mm. I like this one. So during the first showcase for the console... Nintendo demoed a game starring Meowth, the Pokemon, dancing around with other Pokemon while playing a guitar. Later on, they revealed a realistic Zelda game that pushed the limits of the GameCube interface. At that same conference, they showed off concepts for a perfect dark reboot. As it turns out, these were all intended titles for the GameCube, but only the realistic Zelda game ever made it onto the system. It became later known as The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker, and obviously it looked nothing like the demo considering it was cel-shaded with yeah. its graphics. What kills me is this kind of gets into an overlap of the timeline with Rare being bought out by Microsoft, but how freaking awesome would it have been if in the year 2000 we get Perfect Dark, it does tremendously well, and two to three years later we get a p- Perfect Dark sequel on the GameCube. Yeah, I mean, it sucks that they w- went for Star Fox instead of working on Perfect Dark, like the original kind of teases, um, which is kind of where Rare had their creative differences and struggle with Nintendo. Um, unfortunately, when they went to Microsoft, they didn't really have any luck on getting like more rope to play with in their creation. Yeah, I mean, um, we got Perfect Dark Zero, uh, which was kind of a reboot for the series on 360. I love the marketing for it. Joanna looks sweet. But that game just did not really do very well and and certainly wasn't received well. But nonetheless, Ryan, we've got a new Perfect Dark coming in about seven or eight years. So we should be good. (laughs) That we do. Uh, Some severe limitations is the next fun fact I have. All right. Piracy has always been a problem in the gaming industry. Nintendo, like Sega, has done all it can to find a cure-all that would end the presence of such activity once and for all. Having seen what Sega did with the Dreamcast, the company decided to go the same route and create their own proprietary disc. At a little over 1.6 gigabytes, the disc presented some serious issues for game developers. While the disc did help curve piracy, it presented a myriad of problems for game developers. For starters, its small size meant that games like Resident Evil and Metal Gear Solid had to be placed on multiple discs. 
Not only that, but the cutscenes and videos had to be super compressed and poor quality in order to fit onto the disc. Ryan, do you love those little GameCube discs? They're adorable. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I was watching some of the compression of some of those, and there's a cutscene from like a SpongeBob game where Patrick looks like some hellish monster because of all the compression. Really? It's terrifying. Um, I mean, so my transition away from like the Nintendo stuff happened for PS3 because it was my first Blu-ray player. And that's Mm. when Blu-rays were becoming a thing. And that was kind of one of the big advantages of the PS2 was to pick between the DVD player or the system. Um, And I know Xbox 3, what was it, the Xbox One or whatever the fuck their naming convention was, was supposed to be like a media center. Mm. And the PlayStation 2 was really accomplished at first with combining the DVDs and the gaming console. So you can, hey, you don't have to pick. Just pick our system. Well, and it was the easiest thing to convince parents at the time of saying, like, hey, can I get the PS2? And they're like, no, I'm not buying you another video game console. I just bought you the N64 and PS1. And it's like, yeah. but it has a DVD player. And it's like, well, shit. I mean, I'm either going to buy a PS2 for 300 DVD players were like 300 400 bucks. Or, like, yeah. Blu-ray players were like a grand at one point. Yeah, so it, at that point, it just made sense of like, I guess I'll get the two-for-one special, yeah. get the PS2, my kid can play games, plus now it can be our entertainment center for our family yeah. where we can watch DVDs. So really interesting little tidbit there. I, too, love the GameCube discs, though. I, I particularly love when I opened up a case and it had two of the discs. I thought that was just such a neat little thing. Uh, I think I remember one of the James Bond games had two discs. Maybe it was uh, I mean, everything or nothing. I mean, it's less cool now having full-size disc having two. Like Red Dead and Redemption, you have, or even uh, Final Fantasy Remake, you mm-hmm. have like, fuck, I have two discs. But like, I brought over my GameCube, my little silver guy who's sitting on the couch next to us keeping us company. And like, I opened it up and saw some Melee in there. And it's like, I forgot how cute this console was. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I enjoyed it as much as it hurt some of the games. No doubt about it. Well, let's keep moving right along here, Ryan. This next fact I, uh, is called a new variation. Okay. okay. There was a serious problem, as we've kind of just talked about, that Nintendo had to contend with when making the system, and that was the lack of abil- of excuse me, the lack of ability to play DVDs. As silly as it sounds, many point to this being the deciding factor in the console war and why the system didn't sell quite as many units as its competitors. While the company could easily place a DVD drive into the system, they were worried about the cost to the consumer. They wanted to have a gaming system that was both fun and affordable for every gamer, and they feared that they couldn't do that if the drive was implemented. While it was never included as an option outside of Japan, there was a modified system created called the Panasonic Q, which did allow you to play your favorite movies and DVDs. Yeah, that's actually one of the fun facts I had as well on my list. And like, it's a monstrosity of a machine. I don't know if you looked at pictures of it, but mm-hmm. holy crap. Like the number of ports on like front, back, like it's not pretty mm-hmm. like the GameCube is. Um, but yeah, definitely a unique collector's item. It is. Yeah. And there's um kind of a local mom and pop retro game shop near us at the mall that's kind of um, dead in the water at this point, unfortunately. But yeah. That guy has a space and his shop is really neat. He's a lot of really cool stuff. And one of his uh, pride and joys is his Panasonic Q. He also has an AT-ST. What's one of the walking ones? 
There's ATAT, ATST. Regardless, the big walking thing you saw in the beginning of Empire, he has a machine that looks like that, and it also is a GameCube uh, system. Oh. It's really freaking weird. But I'm sure if you look out on the internet and look up ATAT or ATST, whatever, GameCube system, it's out there. But the Panasonic Q, he has one of those as well. So That's cool. Really interesting stuff. But we're five facts in, Ryan. We've got five more to go, and I think we're going to get more interesting here shortly. But I think it's about time we take a little bit of a break. What do you say? All right. Got to love those commercials. Why have you finally decided to run? Sir, are you afraid of the gorilla? I think he's not a chance against the big boys. Do you have a girlfriend? Will your brother be on your team? Do you really think you can win? I think what we're all looking for is, do you have a stance on anything? Forget politics. Join the party with Mario Party 5. Over 60 new mini games and 3D boards make this party all fun and no politics. Ready for everyone. Okay, Ryan, let's get back to the fun facts. This next one I have is called the first of its kind. Mm. Today, wireless controllers have become the default option for gaming consoles. Given that the company had been experimenting with wireless technology for some time, it hardly comes as a surprise that they became the first to introduce a wireless controller to the market. With the inclusion of the WaveBird, a new era in gaming was born, and from that point on, third-party developers continued to make improvements that helped companies create the controllers we know today. Do you have any WaveBirds growing up? No, no WaveBirds for me. They yeah. were expensive. Were they? Yeah, I don't... Um, I only got one because a friend gifted one to me, like not even for like my birthday, but like a second hand. Uh, he was done with his GameCube and he was maybe sold at a, a garage sale, but he kept his WaveBirds and he kind of just gave them to his friends. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I just had the base controllers. Like I bought the silver, I, I don't know what, if like classic edition or like some milestone, but I had the silver one. I think I had a purple one and a black one. Mm. The orange one was also another really cool one. It was, yeah. Um, yeah, they're... The GameCube controller definitely improved from the N64 by, like, a shit ton. A lot of people give the GameCube controller, um, or, you know, give it a lot of hate. I love the GameCube. It survived. I mean, it's it had capability on, obviously, the GameCube. It's on the Wii ports. And then you also have adapters for the Switch. I mean, it's still, like, what you use for Smash. Well, and, you know... Even though the button placement is weird, you know, look at the N64 controller and it's like you're operating a space station with the way those things are pressed or um, placed. But even though the GameCube controller on both sides has weird buttons like the X and the Y and the A button looks weird and the little C stick thing, I love it. I think it fits perfectly in your hands. Yeah, no, I, I think it's one of my favorite controllers. I'm I'm quickly becoming a fan of the PS5, obviously, but I think mm. GameCube controller is probably going to go down as one of my favorite the, actually, for the GameCube controller, I guess I have a fact to add on to that. The GameCube controller was actually one of the first uh, controllers to start looking at motion controls, mm -hmm. which would later be used on the Wii. Um, and then they also, for the graphics engine, uh, which was one of the first to work on 3D images. Oh, I think was, I got one of those coming too. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. Um, with the, uh, the first game being 3D game being the Luigi game. We just mentioned? Yeah, with an adapter. Yeah. Uh, one little, last little shout out to the GameCube controller. Those triggers are perfect. They are. Love yeah, those the little snaps. Oh, yeah. So good. So mm -hmm. good. All right. This next fun fact I have is how things came to be. There are a lot of things that go into console sales. It isn't enough to create a gaming 
or a great gaming system, you have to have titles that everybody knows and loves if you're going to make your mark. While the company for sure had no shortage of those to speak of, Final Fantasy was one that had missed sorely. While Square did patch things up and we got Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, the reason for its inclusion may surprise you. As is often the case, Nintendo had something that Square desperately wanted, and that was to be included on the groundbreaking Game Boy Advanced system. The company decided that the only way that it would allow Square to be part of the handheld was if they agreed to create a title for the GameCube. Mm -hmm. Which, if you're familiar with the Game Boy Advance, you know that we got Tactics Advance, we got ports of Final Fantasy V, VI, I think we got four. Uh, We've got a number of Final Fantasy games on the Game Boy Advance, and given how much it was selling at the time, Square's like, yo, we want a chunk of the change. I love that Nintendo's, like, had a bargaining chip of, like, that's great, but you weren't weren't on the N64, so if you want to be on the Game Boy Advance, you need to create something for the GameCube, Um, which I don't think Crystal Chronicles is held in the highest regard. If I remember correctly, it had some fun, interesting functionality where... You could play using the Game Boy Advance and um, connect that to the GameCube or something to that effect. I can't remember. I remember doing that with one of my buddies growing up, but um, Crystal Chronicles is no Final Fantasy VI. So anyways, Ryan, we keep going along here. This kind of gets on the fact that you had just briefly mentioned the precursor to an amazing handheld. This is a mouthful, so bear with me. In the gaming industry, 3D has always been something that companies have wanted to implement. While Nintendo wasn't the first to experiment with the technology, they did take it a step farther than most when they created the Virtual Boy console. While the popularity for the system wasn't there, the company never gave up trying. During the development for the GameCube, there was a serious discussion about the inclusion of the technology into the platform. If there's any doubt about how close they were to adding it to the platform, you don't have to look any further than the source code. While the company was far along in the process, they decided to cancel it due to the cost associated with the add-on. Though it was never officially implemented, the technology that was created would later be used to create the 3DS. Yeah, it was like nine years later that it took for them to implement it, but yeah, definitely cool that they were working on it so far back. Yeah, they eventually got there for sure, Two more fun facts, Ryan. All right, I'm ready. Pretty good ones. This second to last one is homage to its origin. I'm not sure what it is about Nintendo's hardware, but I can't help but marvel at how durable it is. This, of course, was the author of this fact, but I agree with this person. Pretty much every system by the company that I've ever owned continues to work to this day. I can't tell you how many times I've dropped my Game Boy Advance SP by accident, only to find that it is completely fine. The GameCube wasn't any different, and it, and if it were airtight, it could even float in water. That would be fitting, after all, given that the system's codename is referenced with the image of a dolphin on the main processing chip of the unit. As strange as that sounds, it gets even weirder when you considered that the ATI's name for the CPU was Flipper. Yeah, that's an odd one. Um... I I would definitely say Nintendo is like the Nokia phone of the uh, console world. I I don't think I've ever, I mean I've had Xbox 360s die. I don't think I've had a Nintendo system die. Like my Super Nintendo, which is in my parents' basement, still works with like Duck Hunt and things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this 
Do they ever answer why it was named Dolphin? Or like Flipper? Or is that just their code name? I think that was just a code name. And the, the fact that there's a, a picture of a dolphin on the, um, was it the motherboard or the whatever the terminology was. I, I verified this. I went out and looked on Google and that's for real. So go, you know, follow rip up. Apart again, about, rip apart a GameCube. Yeah. And go yeah. check it out. It's, it's very interesting stuff. So um, hopefully everyone found that one interesting. Here is the final fun fact that I think is... Uh, very goofy, weird, and a fitting one to kind of close us out here. It's called Eye on the Prize. <laughs> there are many different ways that a company can go about promoting a product. While each method has its advantages and disadvantages, most companies tend to gravitate toward creating interesting commercials for their products. There was more of the same with the GameCube, and while they were successful to some extent, Nintendo knew they had to generate interest. In an effort to do just that, they decided to hold a contest called what would you do for a GameCube? And I wonder if this was similar to like the what would you do for a Klondike bar? Yeah. You know, marketing back in the day. Continuing along I would do a here. lot for a Klondike bar, by the way. Oh yeah, for sure. So continuing along with the fact, it invited fans to do all sorts of acts to prove that they were worthy of gaining a free GameCube along with a variation of cash prizes. One of these acts included eating a replica GameCube made of uncooked spam chocolate syrup, and cat food. As odd as this one is, though, it took a person shaving their head, covering themselves with purple paint, and eating various insects to win the grand prize. Yeah, yeah the grand prize was like, they dressed up like a Pikmin and uh, ate worms, which was, uh, I don't know if I would do that. I would probably do the Wii for Wii, which was their next console's kind of promotion. They've got some weird promotional stuff. Like they apparently do. a lot of people dressed up like Mario and Peach. I think one person proposed during that contest. Um, but yeah, definitely unique. Definitely a Nintendo thing to do. It absolutely is. I, I just can't imagine someone eating a replica GameCube <laughs> made of uncooked spam, chocolate syrup, and cat food. It makes me gag just thinking about it. Well, and then the well, fact that you record yourself doing that, stomach it all, and then like what you do, like a little thumbs up in the camera, like please. Yeah. And then Nintendo's like, nah, nah, we're not. Yeah, we're, you're not one of the five people. We're not going to send you one of these. Well, things. I mean, it's better than like the Wii, which like I believe a chick died. Like there was a girl who died during the Wii for Wii. Like we're drink as much water as you can and hold it for as long as you can. Like a girl died for like that week. Did her kidneys rupture or something? Well, she basically diluted your system, like the electrolytes, uh-huh. and you can like drown yourself essentially. Um, so no one died for the uh, GameCube, which is good. That's mm-hmm. a plus. <laughs> wow. But yeah, definitely unique. Very uh, crazy stuff. I, I have some. If that's your last fact, I have like two quick ones, mm-hmm. uh, or I guess three. Uh, one of them is there was a Pokemon episode specifically released on the GameCube through the Pokemon channel. And it was uh, Pichu Party. And it was released over five days, mm. um, which is kind of cool. And then for their sounds that they do, like, so there's three different startup sounds. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you ever found those. Um, I didn't find the third one. So there's the first one, which has a baby in it. Mm-hmm. And then there's one where you one controller holds down the Z button and it's a monkey. And then there's the third one, which is you hook in four controllers and hold down the Z button on all of them. And it's a guy going, woo, which I've never heard that one because I never had four controllers, but um, definitely unique. And then the last one is the GameCube menu sound um, where it shows like your options kind of 
everything. If it's sped up to 16 times, it's actually the same tune as the Famicom startup. I have heard that. Yeah. So the startup news is, was a fun fact. I was, I meant to include, but I ended up not including it. I got you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Having my back. I just miss console boot up sounds so much because yeah. the PS5, it has one and it's, it's fine, but it's not like I recognize it every time I turn on my PS5, but not to the effect of like the PS2 when you have that spacey galaxy like theme that happens when you boot up that. Yeah. Right. And, um, yeah, it, it's just a shame that that's kind of gone away. Companies <clears throat> have gotten away from that being an important factor of building out a console there are other things that are prioritized, and I totally understand that, but the nostalgic 90s kid in me misses that about systems. I mean, at the top of the episode, we played the opening to the GameCube. Yeah. And I mean, like, I could hear that anywhere and be like, oh, that's the GameCube. The mm-hmm. little, like, it sounds like you're walking on tiles as it spins around, and then it shows the GameCube. It's, yeah, I miss it too. Yeah. Yeah, the PlayStation is very reserved in how they do their opening. Well, I mean, PS1 and 2 is is very memorable. It's beyond that, that it's a little forgettable. Yeah. The yeah. ones that I had, at least, yeah. were pretty preserved. Yeah. One is, yeah, the PS1 boot-up sound is very nostalgic for me as well. But hopefully, did you have any other facts? You had two nope, more? that's it. That's yeah. all? Awesome. Well, hopefully everyone learned something. Again, with these, um, these Destiny Island Challenge episodes, Ryan and I really want to dig deep and find some really weird, obscure, fun facts. Obviously, there's going to be one, you know, some trivia that everyone's familiar with or most people are like the the code name Dolphin and stuff like that. But I, I imagine very few of you people out there knew that someone ate a replica GameCube made of spam and cat food <laughs> in an effort to try and get a free system. But um, regardless, again, this is an educational program. Ryan and I are bringing the unique, obscure fun facts every time we do this segment of the show. And hopefully this time... Uh, was pretty special and everyone learned something new. But now I think, Ryan, we can transition just a little bit talking about our memories with the system prior to getting into our top five for the desert island. And then we'll share all of the listener top five too. We got a crazy number of submissions this week. So was super thrilled about all the participation there. But before we get into all that, Ryan, when did you get the GameCube? Walk us through some of the first games you got, some of your earliest memories. Love to hear them. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, that's, I was nine years old when it came out, um, so pretty young. It's kind of a blur. I don't know if it was 2001, that December, like right after it came out, or a year later. I'm pretty sure I, it, it was December of 2001, a couple months after it came out, yeah. Um, and I got it for Christmas. I was a pouty asshole about it, though. Because I was freaking out because the box was like smaller than I thought it would be for a GameCube box, and that's all I wanted. Mm. And I like I was a complete brat. Like I get a GameCube, and like my parents and like my grandma was there. My uh, my dad's mom was there at the time, and they're probably like, "God, this fucking child! <laughs> like, what an asshole!" But I got it. And I'm like looking back. I'm like, oh, "Fuck!" That's one of like my embarrassing moments of. At least I've grown up and I don't cry about gifts anymore. Mm, well, I have, I mean, at least not last year, maybe mm-hmm. the year before that. But yeah, yeah, no, I, I got it. I think I started out with maybe Melee. Um, I know I got Sunshine. Um, There's a few other games that I got. I did have a ton of selection, but like the ones that I did get as a kid, I really enjoyed. Um, 
I spent the most amount of time probably with Melee, mm-hmm. um, mainly through sleepovers and all that. And then, I mean, I've talked about Sunshine and how happy I was for the reboot on the Switch. Um, and it, it was just so fascinating because I, I played Mario with my grandma, and that was kind of one of my first experiences with games on the Super Nintendo. Original um, Nintendo. Yeah, the original Nintendo. Um and it was side scrolling, but to see this like beautiful tropical world and just to fly around, it was just the graphics really blew me away. Mm-hmm. Um, I also had Rogue Squadron mm. as well. I believe this is the one with the trench run through the Death Star. Mm. And Lauren and I actually actually played this a ton, um, just shooting down in those sky missions and then going through the trench run. I think there was also a Hoth mission where you're on little speeder bikes. Um, dodging trees and those trees just came out of freaking nowhere. Um, but yeah, it was, I, I love this. This was probably like my first system was the N64. I had a game, Game Boy Advance, but this was kind of like the first big boy system. Mm, Um, even though it seems like looking back at the time, they were deeming this to be like a childy or kiddish system just because of the price point and some of the games. But yeah, this was my first kind of real console. Nice. Uh, before I got my Xbox. So, yeah, definitely some fond memories. I'm looking at it. It's in all of its silver cute glory. I have the uh, Game Boy Advance adapter hooked to the bottom. So I remember playing uh, Lord of the Rings Return of the King oh, on the TV. Um, Knew I loved you. That was a ton of fun. Those graphics were horrible, mm. but uh, beautiful at the time. So, yeah, a lot of good time. Um, I also had the Pokemon, it wasn't Coliseum. It was the one where you were, like you couldn't you caught the dark Pokemon Gale of Darkness yeah XD yeah that one was a ton of fun it was fucking difficult I was watching a playthrough of it this week by uh, Ant Farm I think his name is a speedrunner who mm. did Mario speedruns and uh, yeah it's a di- it's a difficult one you don't catch wild Pokemon you only catch like dark Pokemon with uh from trainers Mm -hmm. um and then you have to get rid of their dark bar before you can actually level them so it's it's a rough one i struggled um but yeah i i love the console it's one of my favorite of all time nice so what about you very good stuff so my earliest memory and i've talked about this in the podcast before seeing the gamecube uh, i have talked a number of times in the past about how my buddy scott uh he lived a couple doors down from me it's because of him and his older brothers that I ever was even introduced to Kingdom Hearts, Final Fantasy VII, a lot of those games that, um, at least in the instance of Kingdom Hearts, were really critical in me getting into games and experiencing and learning about certain video games. And he was also the one that always got the next console before me, mm-hmm. the N64, the Game Boy Advance SP, the Game Boy Advance, the first one, the PS2. But that era, he didn't get a GameCube early on. He got the PS2. And at that point, he was kind of the trendsetter and all my buddies afterwards got the PS2 as well. So I got the PS2 shortly after it came out. I remember getting like Jack and Daxter and Crash Bandicoot uh, Wrath of Cortex and stuff like that. But it was years later that I ended up getting the GameCube just because my friends didn't have it. I didn't really get magazines to know about it. And it really wasn't the talk of the playground at the time. So it was the Christmas of 2004 when I ended up getting it. But backtracking just a little bit, I was exposed to it maybe leading up to that Christmas. I don't really remember when this was. I just remember walking into this strip mall 
that we used to go to and it still exists today where they have a dollar theater okay. where you used to pay like 50 cents during matinee or a, a literal dollar to go see movies that had already been in the theaters for like six to eight months. Mm-hmm. And we would always go there with my dad and my sister. We'd hit up like Walgreens or Walmart prior to going into the theater. We'd all get our box of candy that we wanted and sneak that into the movie theater. And then sometimes if we got there earlier enough, we are early enough, we would pop over to this store just next door to the theater called Trading Zone. Hmm. And it was kind of this mom and pop video game store. And I still to this day remember it having like a distinct scent when you walked in. Not like like. man stank or like gross, (laughs) like teenage. Axe body spray. (laughs) Yeah, nothing like that. But it just had a distinct scent to it. And I just remember the walls being littered with N64 boxes And it was one of those things where you'd walk up, you grab the N64 box, it was empty, uh, kills me. At the time, I didn't think about it until I was an adult, but they'd gut the boxes, so strip it of all the innards of, you know, manuals, game itself, and other uh, cardboard pieces, and you'd bring the cardboard box up to the counter, and then if they had it complete in the box, they'd give that to you, otherwise you'd just buy the N64 cart. Yeah. But I remember walking in there as the N64 was beginning to kind of phase out and seeing a kiosk there where the GameCube uh, was in the kiosk. And these two older kids were playing the game that was um, being demoed. And I kind of just sat there and waited for probably just a few minutes. It seemed like an eternity for a young child like myself. And once they finished and they walked away, I ran up to it and I got to play a demo um of super mario sunshine oh nice and of course to that point i'd only played stuff like super mario 64 and other games on the n64 so very much like you when you're introduced to something like mario sunshine far more vibrant far more colorful you have these tropical environments that at the time were mind-boggling right that's all that was the next bar that had to be cleared. Even the water comparing to like the water in uh, Kingdom Hearts 3, like the tropical water, they do a great job. Oh, yeah, back then for sure. Um, so super impressive. And so I played the demo and it wasn't, at least I can't remember, I didn't play it and then run out to the car or tell my dad or mom that I need the GameCube. Mm-hmm. I just have this memory that is just embedded in my brain of walking into Trading Zone, seeing those two kids playing it, getting my hand on the controller, and playing it for like five to ten minutes. That's all I remember. And then flash forward a couple years, the Christmas of 2004, the GameCube had been out for a couple of years at this point, and at this point, you could go to do a Best Buy and get a GameCube for like $99.99, $100, right? So this was also, I think, the year when they came out with the Platinum GameCube Double Dash Bundle, so it was a GameCube for 99 bucks. You got two silver controllers, the silver GameCube, and a copy of Mario Kart Double Dash. And at this point, more of my friends had gotten the system. We were playing Smash Melee at my brother or my friend's house, you know. Yeah. At that point, it was the big thing that everyone was talking about. So I convinced my dad. He always had like a specific budget for my sister and I, like after my parents got divorced, for what he was willing to get for us for Christmas. Obviously, if I was asking for a pretty significant thing like a, a console or a horse, well, never asked for one of those, <laughs> but uh, it was rare that I would get much beyond that. Mm-hmm. But I remember being at my mom's house. We were getting closer to the Christmas season and I told my dad that I wanted a GameCube. And so he was never very secretive. Like if I asked for something like that, he was always just like, 
this is what you're getting. It wasn't really a surprise where if I asked my mom, like the Christmas I've talked about a number of times, can you get me a PS2? And she's like, no. And then she ends up getting it for me. My dad, there was never much surprise. So he calls me up at my mom's house. And of course, we have a landline. I don't have a cell phone at that point. My mom picks up the phone. Rusty, your dad's on the phone. I'm like, hey, dad, what's going on? He's like, hey, um, I'm at Best Buy. I just got your GameCube for Christmas. Uh, And I'm like a 10-year-old kid at this point, you know? And he's like, um, I'm in the row of like, they're called Platinum Choice or Player's Choice Games. Like, what games do you want for this thing? And I was like, well, what do they have? And he's like, of course, my dad trying to rattle off video game titles. He has yeah. no idea what he's saying. He's like, um, you've got a, a, a Kirby, Kirby's Air Air Ride or something like that. You got uh, what Mario's brother. You got like a Luigi game here. The guy with the green hat. You know, yeah. he's trying to describe these games to me. I'm like, okay, dad. Yes. I want Luigi's Mansion, you know, um, pick up Smash Brothers Melee was an absolute essential yes. game. And outside of that, I can't really remember what games I got really early on the three games that i remember opening up for christmas that year were luigi's mansion smash brothers melee and midway arcade treasures which was just a compilation of random arcade titles okay there was a series of these i think there were at least three of them i got the one with like the green cover art maybe it was the first one maybe it was the second one i don't remember but i actually really enjoyed it there was this like goofy um arcade basketball game on it that i really enjoyed you had um, uh, an old Rampage game where you're like the giant monsters just wrecking havoc in the town. Uh, but yeah, the Christmas of 2004, I remember getting at least those three games. And when things got really exciting for me were the following birthday. I must have turned in 2005. I turned 12. Okay. And so my buddy, um, he got his grandma. I don't know how this happened because back then for birthdays, like, Whenever I was invited to a birthday, the budget was like my parents were willing to spend like 20 or 30 bucks yeah. on the kid, you know, get them the next super soaker or get them like a Lego set or something like that. Um, but my buddy was able to convince his grandma to get Star Fox Assault because it came out in like February of that year. Yeah. So I got Star Fox Assault from him. And then my dad bought me Mario Party 6, which at the time had it was like a giant box, came with that goofy little microphone where you could talk into the microphone for certain mini games and this is also a memorable birthday because i got green day's american idiot cd oh a classic so it was just such a crazy birthday party because all my buddies slept over that night we had my 15 inch little dvd player tv down in the (laughs) basement all huddled around four players playing smash melee on this 15 inch screen tv star fox assault mario party 6 cranking you know jesus of suburbia an american idiot and (laughs) wake me up when september ends and all of that so um those are like kind of my most my fondest initial memories with the system because it's always kind of anchored back to that 12 year old birthday party where i got star fox assault mario party 6 and we listened to the hell out of that american idiot cd it's crazy to think how different the experience of kids getting things now is compared to what it is, like was when we were i mean we were at the dawn of time now we were at the dawn of like cell phones going from like dumb phones like flip phone the razor being like high end to like smartphones mm-hmm. like smartphones at what late high school early college um and we we're also at the early internet um really shitty internet huge tvs like crt tvs 
really tiny screens, but really big butts to them. And, uh, yeah, all of us, like our friends downstairs huddled around tiny TVs together. And like now it's let's play online. We Mm -hmm. can be in separate houses opposed to like huddled, just sweaty kids eating crappy food together, straining your eyes to see your characters. Yeah. Probably hear some some sirens in the background potentially, but I think nowadays, yeah, it's just taken for granted. And I certainly try and um, think about those memories and how special a time it was because it's so easy now to just like look things up on a smartphone or, you know, now even as an adult and having, you know, disposable income and being able to just go out and buy these $70 (laughs) games. Whereas like back then, it's like getting Star Fox Assault from a buddy whose grandma was willing to buy it for me. It was just such a special moment, right? Yeah. You know, uh, you just, I don't know. It's just different when you're an adult, I guess. But also like even when Lauren and I have kids, I just feel like birthday parties and those surprise moments will just, they'll be different, you know? Yeah. And different. like it was always fun to, I mean, you spend a lot of time outside opposed to just playing video games. Mm-hmm. And so you'd like, you have a session of like dicking around outside whether it's like shooting each other with Nerf guns and airsoft guns, but then at the end of like you've you've dealt with your teenage energy, you're a little bit zoned out. You need some Kool Aid or High C, and mm-hmm. uh, you come inside or some Sunny D, and go down to the basement and just play some GameCube or some Xbox. But yeah, GameCube was a really fun one with Melee. It really was, yeah. So those are my fondest memories. Getting that Double Dash bundle, I'll never forget it. Unfortunately, I no longer have that console. Um, I have a horrible history of getting rid of a lot of my Nintendo stuff kind of at the beginning of it starting to kind of increase in price and it becoming more of a, um, a desirable item. You know, uh, I can't remember when I got rid of my GameCube, when I sold it to fund the next thing, but it's just one of those systems that I wish I would have held on to, thrown in a storage bin, kept in a closet somewhere, not because I'd like to bring it out and resell all those games for ridiculous amounts of money but just because as i was i mentioned earlier the gamecube just had such a unique library of titles and nintendo went in such obscure directions with kind of their their mainstay characters uh that i i wish i would have been able to relive some of those games today yeah you're i mean you you have my x or my ps3 mm-hmm. if you want to borrow my gamecube you're welcome to it i'd love to i just i rebuying a lot of those games would be tough you know as we get into uh, our top five games or even some of our honorable mentions i'm going to be paying at a bare minimum of 50 60 bucks for a lot of those titles you know yeah, i was looking at like melee and it was like 180 to 100 i mean there was like actually rated games which was like two grand oh yeah don't even get like me Gen into 10s yeah <laughs> but yeah they're expensive i mean yeah it was it was just a great console for sure yeah well, Ryan, what do you say we get into then our top five games? I'm down. All right. So these are the games we're taking to little Destiny Island with us to play with our pals Riku and, and Kyrie and Sora. The whole gang will be there for sure. And I'll kind of just kickstart things by saying that I didn't order my games in any meaningful way. Uh, this isn't like a five to one, top to bottom, the five essential games. I also went a little bit with my choices a little nostalgic games that I'm fond of, but also some games I'd never played before that I think would um, provide some nice longevity uh, if I'm on an island type yeah. of deal. So a, a little mix of both, 
But did you have any kind of structure or reasoning with your list? Um, yeah, I mean, these could be top five, like, in order, but it's they're just five games I think I would take. Um, I have three games that I've played before and owned, mm-hmm. and then I have two games, well, one game I've never played before or seen before I looked this up, and then one that I played once. Nice. Um, but I from the list of, like, top 100 games of GameCube, narrowed that down to, like, 27. So I have a mixture of different genres, diff- different types of gameplay to kind of keep it unique if I'm going to be stranded on Desert Island until I die. Mm-hmm. And then I, the way I listed it out is for each kind of z- genre, I had what the competing choices were and then kind of the one that I picked. Nice. And like what, I, what I'd like to do eventually is keep tally of the five games we choose and have like a running spreadsheet that you and I update after the episode Okay. So that, you know, 50 episodes from now, if we do this segment, you know, three to five more times, we have a running tally of for each of those consoles, what are the five games we're bringing, you know? Yeah. I think it'd be cool to maybe reconnect or, you know, reassess the games we've selected for the five consoles that we're bringing to that island, you know, just just as a fun little exercise. But all of that being said, Ryan, why don't you kick things off? What is the first game you're bringing? Yeah, my first or number five game would be Tales of Symphonia. Nice, yeah. Yeah, so this was in the mix. I was going for like an RPG that has some replayability. Um, I was looking at a few different games for this one. Um, Legend of Zelda, Twilight Princess, Metroid Prime, um, and then Wind Waker were kind of the same ones that I had in this category. Um, And then also there was a, uh, shit, what was it called? It was Fire Emblem was also in this one. Path of Radiance, uh, yeah. Yeah, and then kind of looking at the gameplay, uh, Fire Emblem was kind of the big one where it would have a lot of replayability. I don't know for the Link games or the Zelda games, how many times you could play that in different kind of formats. Mm-hmm. Um, Metroid looked like a ton of freaking fun, which makes sense why it's on a lot of people's lists. Um, but also replayability. I think you can play... I don't, it looked like a turn-based RPG for Tales. Um, you could play it a lot of different ways, whether it's level challenges, gear challenges. There's a lot of different ways to add some variability to it. So, yeah, I don't really have a ton of experience with the Tales series. I had, I played a little bit of Tales of Vesperia. Uh, you were talking about how you had done a review with the Tarkron podcast, and I ended up picking it up. Maybe 10 to 15 hours into it is all I made it. Um, kind of where it opened up into the open world is where I got to. But yeah, I enjoyed my time with it. Um, you RPGs are always a good time. Yeah, no, Symphonia is a good choice. I know a lot of people really love that one. Uh, I've never played Symphonia myself. It was Vesperia that really got me into the Tales of series. Uh, that in Abyss 3D on the 3DS. But um, another RPG series that I consider to be pretty comfort food Uh, more often than not you kind of know what you're getting into the series hasn't evolved it's not like final fantasy where they drastically change things uh, at least more recently with each subsequent game so uh, i think symphony is a safe and and, and definitely great choice for you for sure yeah so the the score for it it got like an 86 across the board Um, it sold over a hundred thousand copies in the first two weeks and sold about a million copies worldwide Wow. So pretty yeah. good sale. It's not like top 10, which is closer to 2 million, but still a good number of sales. Um, and then it's got the typical kind of RPG. 
you're a guy, there's a guy, you need to save the world. Yeah. <laughs> I have the little blurb, but it's it's RPG nonsense with crazy names for your planet, yeah. crazy names for your character, and your childhood friend, Colette Brunel. Yeah. You so, know, I, I didn't bring any yeah. of that unique trivia for my each of my games. I kind of just have them bolded here, but uh, no, interesting. It's cool. it's cool to slack and just hate quality. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I do a lot for the show, Ryan. I Sometimes yeah. I have to take a hit somewhere. Yeah, so that's that's my number five. Nice. What about you? My number one pick or number five pick, however you dice it, there's really no meaningful order to these games. Uh, but I needed something kind of cozy, something fun, something that I can kind of mindlessly play after a long day of collecting coconuts and, you know, spearfishing or something. Talking to Wilson. Exactly. Mario Golf Toadstool Tour. Mm. Everyone knows I love my three-button-click system Mario Golf games or uh, golf games in general. The Hot Shot series is uh, a favorite of mine as well. Uh, I didn't play a ton of Toadstool Tour growing up. Uh, the first Mario Golf game that I really got into actually was the Game Boy Advance game. Really enjoyed that, but um, wasn't overly fond of the more recent uh, Mario Golf game on Switch, but still fun nonetheless. Regardless, Mario Golf is it's kind of the same formula, but I think on GameCube they, they really um, had a special entry there. You know, there's more to do than just going to the course and golfing. Unlockable characters, unlockable courses, really fun soundtrack to get you in the mood of hitting balls out there on the links. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, with most of these top five lists for these different consoles, I would say more often than not, I'm going to select some type of a sports game just because RPGs, action, platformer, whatever series of games or genre I play, I kind of always come back to a sports game when I'm not really sure what to go to. And I think Mario Golf uh, definitely fits that bill. Yeah, this is actually my, I mean, if you're like ranking five to one, this is my number two game. Nice. Um, Mario Golf Toadstool Tour has a great place or a, a place in my heart, yeah. um, which the new Switch one didn't really fill. Um, I I play the shit out of this game. It's It had so many different game modes um, compared to what you have in the new Switch game. Um, there were seven stages, 16 different characters. Um Four of those are unlockable, and then two of those characters are actually like plug-in transfers from Game Boy Advance. Mm, very cool. Um, and I was never good enough to get those unlockable characters. You had uh, Bowser Jr., Boo. I was going after Shadow Mario, um, and then PD Piranha, which was a cool Mario Sunshine ad. Um, it, it sold about two hundred or eight hundred and thirty thousand, and got about a score of uh, eighty-two. Metacritic, um, but I, I had listed out or looked at the number of different game modes for the single player, um, which has about seven different type like gameplay types. Um, you have multiplayer, which has even more than that, closer to like nine, and then you have unlockable game modes mm-hmm. with tournaments, birdie challenges, um, putt one putt challenges, special tournaments, and then even harder difficulties. Um, it's just the scale and the amount of different variety and like replayability to this game dwarfs the new Switch game, which was kind of my main disappointment. And just looking at every, like going back and looking at it for uh, this podcast, it's it's sad. But I, I love the crap out of this game. I, I played it so many hours. Yeah, no, it's a good pick. It's um, 
lot to do, a lot more stuff, if you will, when compared to the Switch game. I know we've been dogging on that game for a while, but again, it, it doesn't take much of, you know, pitting one game versus the next to see that it's it's pretty significant um, what you can do in one game versus the next. But we're not here to argue which game is better. Um, because it's obvious. It's just obvious. <laughs> and we're just talking. Yeah. We only speak the truth here. So, yeah. Anyways, I can probably go to my next one since you just talked about Mario Golf as one of your other games. My next pick is The Legend of Zelda Wind Waker. Nice. This is a game I actually remember um, as the GameCube game started to go up in price and I was trying to at least secure the ones that I I just wanted to play, not for uh, any kind of resale purposes. And my dad drove halfway across town because uh, if I couldn't find a game um, or if it was a game I knew was going to be in short supply before... Having my dad drive me to a GameStop, I'd always look to see because they had a, sh- a search functionality to see if a particular game was available at your local GameStop. Yeah. And the closest one was like a 30 to 40 minute drive away. So my dad being the superhero that he is, he was um, reluctantly willing to take <laughs> me to that GameStop and pick up Wind Waker. I na- never made it particularly far. I do also remember taking it home, playing the the early hours realizing that I had to sail from one place to the next and it would take a significant amount of time. This is way before I started listening to podcasts or having YouTube videos up well before the era of Twitch, right? So I wasn't able to just like listen to something to kind of keep me cozy while you're sailing along the seas. Yeah. And me being the impatient kid, I also didn't just sit there and appreciate the music and the journey. Um, So I took a rubber band and actually rubber banded it to the um, the analog stick to my controller and just sailed upwards, hoping that I got to the place I needed to be. Jesus. Went downstairs, got some Fritos, maybe a soda or something like that. Um, I don't really remember what came of that situation. If I, you know, made it halfway <laughs> across to where I wasn't supposed to be or what all of that to say, I just never gave wind waker the time of day that I think it deserves. I never appreciated it for what it was and it wasn't until years later that, you know, I played something like Spirit Tracks on the DS that I got a greater appreciation for um, the journey you would take from getting from one area to the next. Like, say what you will about Spirit Tracks, and I'll be the first person to say that it was a pain in the ass to use that train. Uh, but regardless, getting to that next point was worth the adventure because the dungeons and the boss battles and everything else that you'd expect from a Zelda game was worth waiting for. I mean, just like Shadow Colossus, that world is beautiful. And a lot of the gameplay, or a lot of the experience, is running through that world with your horse mm-hmm. and getting to the bosses. Yeah. Um, yeah, your experience with that sounds like my Battlefront 2 early days where I'd rubber band my controller to walk in a circle to get coins. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, no, I th- Wind Waker's always been a one that's... I mean, it's the design of the cel-shadedness um, that really caught my eye. Um, I never got the experience to play it. I'm hoping for a reboot on the Switch. I don't know why they haven't, but yeah, someday I hope to play that one. Well, I mean, the fact that Twilight Princess and um, Wind Waker got HD remasters for the Wii U, there's no doubt in my mind that they're just probably at this point, they're ready to go. They're ready to, you know, print the copies for Switch, but they're probably waiting to see what they're going to do with Breath of the Wild 2. Yeah. If that is going to get pushed into 2023, then they're probably going to, in the summer of next year, say, oh, by the way, here are these two Zelda uh, remasters for you to tide you over. 
Um, or if Breath of the Wild 2 comes out in the spring, which there's no way it is. But if it were to, then it's like, okay, maybe at the end of next year on the holidays, they'll pump out those two uh, remasters. Nintendo has a strategy. We get it. We're not, you know, morons at this point. We know we know their game. We know their game. Sometimes it seems like they don't have a strategy. (laughs) (laughs) Like last year where they didn't talk to us for a year. But yeah, it's. It's crazy how like you driving across town to get a video game. It's changed so much where we can just click on an app, Amazon us, send it to me next day. Yeah. And it's like a lot of the fun was driving across town, like hitting different game stops. The one on the road near the mire, like there's one in town near us and like hopping around to see like, hey, do you have this game? I'm certain like it, it was similar to your experience with Wind Waker. It was the journey to get there. And then playing the game was the reward. And yeah. it's like the experience of driving around with your dad saying like he probably could give two shits about like what is this like green dude with a sword. But like it's you spending time for those 45 minutes one way. You got the game. Tell me what you think you're going to enjoy in this game. Mm-hmm. And those experiences that really made it opposed to. Yeah, like I, <laughs> I opened my door and <laughs> there was a game there. Cool. Like it's so different. And like. It makes me miss, I mean, technology is great, but like the lack of technology also is, it was a lot of fun to grow up there. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, in the thrill of the hunt, it's, it can still be there if you're, you know, looking to go out and look for retro games. You know, you have your half price books, people have garage sales still, there's still um, an avenue for you to go out and search and find those games, but it's certainly less than it used to be. And I think also our tolerance and patience for wanting to go out and do that is has thinned, you know, and the luxury of being able to, instead of driving, you know, 15 minutes to Best Buy, it's why would I do that if I can just say Amazon same day delivery, get Balan Wonderworld delivered day one. The problem is I still went to Best Buy and got that for you and drove <laughs> it over here for Balan Wonderworld. So uh, the things you do for that example. Right? But yeah, yeah. Exactly. no, yeah, I get it. It's it's the world we live in. It is, Ryan. Why don't you hit us with your third choice? Yes. So this one was a um, a toss up between Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Underground Four or Underground or Four or SX SSX Tricky SEX. Okay, got it. Sex Tricky. <laughs> <laughs> so this, uh, and I picked the Tricky. It's a snowboarding game. Uh, produced by EA, um, 86. It actually got a few different ratings. All right, first of on, all, if you're going to be rattling off facts, at least give It's EA, been on play. EA did a fucking great job in well, this no, game. no, you're not even let me finish my sentence. At least give them the attention it deserves by saying EA big. Was it EA big? Of course it was. They put out something good and special? You think it was EA? <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. This is when they still had like underground basketball games and like street games like fun ones ea challenge everything or what was their little it was challenge everything yeah Yeah. there's there's a lot of whispering like in in this generation like (laughs) (laughs) it's terrifying um but yeah no this was on multiple consoles it was on playstation 2 got like a 92 got an 86 on the gamecube and this was just i i never had this game i played it one time at a sleepover at my friend Alexander's house. And he had this where most of my experiences with like smash bros and like a lot of different games I didn't have. 
but like this was one of the games that was just a ton of fun. It mm. was kind of my first kind of experience with sports games. Um, this was before I uh, got to play Tony Hawk Pro Skater 4, which is kind of where most of my experiences were. Um, but it, I don't know. This let's let's see. Um, so this game actually became popular because of the Run DMC "It's Tricky" song that would play, and that's just a fantastic, energizing song. Mm-hmm. Um, it sold pretty well, um, but yeah, I this would give a lot of replayability. I was watching some gameplay for Pro Skater Four going up the ramps, and I don't know if I'd have the same amount of fun where I would playing this on an island one because you can see snow that you wouldn't be experiencing on an island that's a big one um but you also got the racing aspect to going downhill and doing all those tricks so Mm -hmm. yeah no i this would be a game that i would even play now if i was able to uh buy it big fan of the ssx tricky games um did you ever own it oh yeah i own tricky i owned ssx3 i still have um i think both of them oh do you yeah on shit i P- need to borrow it on ps2 never mind um <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i had them on ps2 um really really fun games i, I love just about everything that ea sports big put out there um i don't have nba street 2 or fifa street or nfl street on my list but those are games that i played to death with my friends growing up SSX Tricky being another one uh, that I also played at a friend's house at a sleepover, and it was because of him that on a future birthday, he got me a greatest hits copy of SSX Tricky on the PS2. So really great games. I still think they hold up well today. Um, I think it kind of peaked with SSX 3. You know, down the line, they had SSX Blur, uh, I think, on the Wii, and then they had a couple other games, too, that just didn't really um, hit the notes that those earlier games did. And then on the PS3 360, they rebooted the series. I don't even know if it was EA Big that did it or another developer, but it was just called SSX. Yeah. I have it on PS3. I found it at a, uh, speak of, we were talking about earlier, kind of a thrift shop for three bucks. And I've yet to play it, but for three bucks, I felt like it was yeah. at least worth giving a try. Uh, but yeah, man, I think everyone's been kind of um, wanting the EA Sports big you know, series of games to come back because now is kind of that era where people, it's, it's been 10, 15 years since we've played one. People are getting nostalgic for it. And like you were saying, you're not a big fan of sports games. You never really played sports games, but SSX Tricky, NBA Street, NFL Street, all of those games got people who otherwise hate sports or are indifferent to them yeah. to play those games. Exactly. So um, there was, I think, was it an Xbox conference or something? There was kind of like a snowboarding a sports game that was shown. I forget what yeah. conference that was. There was also like dirt biking and things. Yeah, but like, I know exactly what you're talking about. I just forget the name of that game. Yeah. Was that Microsoft or was it Sony? No, I think, yeah, it was one I think of the it was two. Microsoft. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Um, but but yeah, I, that would be, I hope that's cool. But it's kind of not the jankiness, but the the feel of those street and tricky games that, I hope can be replicated sometime soon. That would be the only way I get into sport games. Yeah, for sure. I will go ahead and name my next one. We're going a little long here, Ryan, so we might need to speed it up up. a little bit. But my number three game is something that I've never played. I didn't even watch too much footage of it. I just kind of read a little bit of a blurb, watched a little bit of gameplay, and heard just a snippet of the soundtrack. And I was impressed and ready to put it on the list. Originally came out on the the, uh, Sega Dreamcast. 
and that is Skies of Arcadia Legends. Mm. It's kind of a pirate-based RPG. I know a lot of people are pretty big fans of this one, but it's something that I never got around to playing on the GameCube, never owned, and I certainly didn't hear many of my friends talking about or playing this game growing up. But um, it was really between this and Tales of Symphonia, and since uh, I've played a few of the Tales of games, I kind of know what to expect. I wanted something a little bit fresh, a little bit different, and I thought Skies of Arcadia Legends kind of definitely uh, fit that bill. So. Nice, yeah. You got to get some RPGs in there. Oh yeah, for sure. So Skies of Arcadia Legends, I think it ends up showing up on some of our, our listeners' lists too. Very nice. So what about you? You're on number four now? Number four. Okay. Yeah, so this was a toss-up um, between Harvest Moon, Magical Melody, and Animal Crossing. Mm. Um I watched some gameplay of Harvest Moon, and it just wasn't hitting the same. Like, I like the top-down kind of 2D uh, Harvest Moon that I think Lauren played on the 3DS, maybe. Um, But the full 3D Harvest Moon was just, it looked jank and very, like, Ocarina of Time, like the barren kind of worlds. Mm. It's not really full of anything, and that's kind of how Harvest Moon looked. Um, Animal Crossing, I did play. This was kind of my first experience with Animal Crossing, and you said, I think, earlier offline that it was the first Animal Crossing, at least in the West, mm-hmm. um, that there was one earlier in Japan. But I, I remember going into, I think it was one of our friends down the road in the neighborhood. They were playing this game, and I can purely remember the layout of their house only because I remember get it, walking through their house to get to the GameCube to play Animal Crossing. Nice. And they they showed me, they're like, hey, you're a person, you arrive in town, you've got horns for some reason, and we're catching fish because we're indentured servants to this dude named Tom Nook. And I was like, that's very interesting. And then we started changing the outfits, and I just remember like spending a couple hours down in their basement eating snacks and trying to catch red snappers and the little stripey guys the black and white striped guys for 3,000 and 5,000 bells a piece to try to pay off their house. And it, it was just, it's such a unique game. It's, it's sad that they took out the little geroids um, from this new Animal Crossing that I've played too much of, um, which are these little noisemaker guys um, that you could find and kind of dig up around the world. But yeah, I... I, yeah, I love this game. It, I would play this for hours and probably work to fill out my house with all the best things. That's a good pick. It's just, it's so surprising that, you know, you would even consider playing something like this for, for dozens of hours. Because since then, you've completely sworn off simulation games. You you hated Animal Crossing New Horizons. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I begrudgingly put 420 hours in there. Yeah. And I hated every second of it. But you're like, Ryan... What we need for the podcast is for you to weekly talk about your fucking island. So suck it up and play more. And I I mean, I did. I took one for the team. I just, yeah. And I I, I think I just need to continue that suffering uh if I'm on an island. And yeah, I'll I'll take another one for the team. I appreciate your commitment to this podcast and our listeners, Ryan. You're welcome, everyone. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Good pick. Yeah. I actually never got around to playing the original Animal Crossing. I didn't. I think maybe Wild World on the Wii, or no, City Folk was Wii, I think Wild World was DS. I played it for maybe five to six hours on DS, 
I think for a lot of people, when it became far more mainstream and a lot more people talked about it, was when New Leaf came out yeah. on the 3DS. That was kind of my jumping on point for Animal Crossing. But if I did get a GameCube at launch when I was, you know, seven, eight years old, and I got Animal Crossing when it first came out, given how big a fan I was of the original Sims on the computer, I wouldn't be surprised if I would have become an Animal Crossing, like, crazy person yeah. back then. But I just never got around to playing it. Yeah, I ended up going from GameCube to New Leaf, which was the 3DS. Was that the one where you were mayor? I think so. Yeah, I went to that one and then now to the Switch. Yeah. I never did the, like, on your phone paywalling and stuff mm-hmm. um, because you can cheat those items in. But, yeah, I I would spend so many. I'd probably neglect getting food to play Animal Crossing on this island. So Between that and RuneScape, Ryan, I'm sure you yeah. never would have got out of your seat. But Unfortunately, GameCube doesn't have RuneScape on it, which is for the best. <laughs> it is. It is so, for everyone involved. Yeah. What is your fourth game? My fourth game is something that the more I think about it, my memories and even playing it are probably best left in the past because I just don't think this game would stand the test of time given what's come since it the, the game released, and that's Pokemon Coliseum. Yeah. I really enjoyed this game growing up. The first one or the second one? First one. The second one's Gale of Darkness, extra large Ds or something. (laughs) Um, But Pokemon Coliseum, you know, I remember so many of my friends saying like, and everyone just wished and dreamed about this open world console experience of a Pokemon game. And they always teased us, you know, N64, we got Pokemon Stadium 1 and 2, Pokemon Snap, then the GameCube. We eventually got Pokemon Coliseum, but, you know, on the Wii, there were Poke Park and all these other random games. But I always told people that there is, there is a console Pokemon game. It's mm-hmm. not as traditional as you experienced on the Game Boy and Game Boy Color. But at the time, I thought it was just as fun and mixed it up with this weird shadow type Pokemon where you need to like. Is this, so I think I played this one. The DX one was with Shadow Lugio, Lugio. Lugia. You okay? Dude, we've been talking for like six hours. Yeah, so the second one was with Shadow Lugia, and this one was the Espeon Umbreon one, right? It could be, dude. I haven't played this game in like 15 years, but I just know that when I played it, it was all I played for weeks, and I just tried to evangelize to my friends that this is the real deal. This is the Pokemon console game we've been wanting for years, and obviously it never took off or... Um, it, it clearly did well enough for them to do a sequel, Mm -hmm. but very few people do I remember in my inner circle talking about this game or it being praised as that console Pokemon experience we've wanted. Yeah, it was a really unique experience. I ended up getting the strategy guide for this one. Um, this is, I think one of the final battles was like, you could catch a ho-ho, but it's also one of the reasons one of my, I guess my favorite Pokemon besides Mewtwo is Tyranitar. Because one of the guys you could get in this game as one of your shadow ball Pokemon was a Tyranitar. Nice. Um, and this is what I was watching the gameplay for this week. And it is it is a unique experience. Um, it looks janky as hell. Like nowadays, very pointed faces and kind of some weirdness to it. But yeah, it. I hope... I mean, the challenge is what I wish they would bring back. Like, com- like comparing this to the newer generation of Pokemon... Um, but yeah, it was it was interesting for sure. Yeah. Definitely a weird change to the formula. Yeah, I liked it quite a bit though. And uh, 
whether again it would stand the test of time and still be fun on this desert island i guess we'll find out in a few weeks when i get stranded there all right <laughs> but uh <laughs> what is your final pick ryan all right uh i wonder what it could be uh my final pick it was a toss-up between soul caliber 2 which i saw a few different are on the list um and super bros ah uh, super bros and uh super bros won by a small margin mm-hmm. um i played this maybe one or two hours back when i was a kid um it wasn't very popular um I, was it logan who was telling us to watch when he was on the documentary about this game could have been if anyone was gonna talk about super bros on our podcast it's either logan or zach yeah i think it was logan yeah and i went and watched the entire melee uh, documentary either la- that next later that day or the next day and it's a fantastic documentary um but yeah i, I spent a ton of hours i was never that good i love the fast pace of it um the games after slowed down the gameplay um and it, watching that documentary it showed how much i sucked at everything um and this is at the time where it was what game facts and like hard to find information about meta uh, technique. Um, but I remember playing this through sleepovers and, um, my friend's older brother being fantastic at Marth, which was meta for a little bit. And he knew how to do all those canceling things and just the craziness. He could kill all three of us, like younger kids Mm -hmm. just by like all against him. So fantastic game. Um, yeah. What about you? What was your experience with yeah, Melee. no, I mean, I remember getting Melee. My buddies and I, we'd huddle around my little 15-inch TV. We'd play it for dozens and dozens of hours over the years and, um, you know, unlocking certain characters. I, I remember, I think there was one character where you had to play a game where everyone had 99 lives. So I, I, similar to rubber banding my controller in Wind Waker, I remember just starting a match with everyone at 99 lives, going downstairs, watching some football with my dad or something like that, coming back sta- upstairs in time to fight whoever, whatever challenger approached or whatever. It might have been Dr. Mario or something like that. Yeah, Something. But yeah, I mean, just the the effort that was involved in unlocking the characters and how enjoyable that was and all of the other random challenges that were baked into this game and how soon after this released, after the N64 Smash Brothers, is mind-boggling to see that they knew they had something special in their hands with the N64 game mm-hmm. and how quickly they turned around a sequel and how much they built upon what was there in the first game. Again, it's it's so significant and crazy. And then to see 20 years later what it would end up becoming and the crossovers that would be involved with Smash Brothers, the characters that would be there, the maps, the music selections, and everything in between, um, it's never going to be replicated. Ever. No. Yeah, it makes me sad for, like, how you get new characters in, like, Ultimate, where it's, like, a certain number of battles or a certain amount of time. Like, getting Mewtwo in that older game, you had to play, like, one battle for, like, 18 hours, so you'd leave on your GameCube two people in the center of the Pokemon Stadium, and then you get uh, back to your controller in the morning right before you go to school, eat some, like, fruity pebbles, and then go and try to get your Mewtwo. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's, it was so unique. And those challenges were a ton of fun. It was like 50 unique challenges. Mm-hmm. 51 was master hand. Uh, what was the other hand? 
master hand and brother for hand, whatever the fucking hands are, two hands, and then <laughs> hands, <the> hands. <laughs> hands, the battle. And then the next one, like, I think it was 52 or 53, it was Giga Bowser, Game and Wa- or, uh, Ganondorf, and maybe Mewtwo versus you. And if you could beat that, you can get Final Destination, that stage. That mm. flat stage where all it is is you versus the other character with no kind of interference of the stage. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was fantastic. Um, there was, what, 29 stages, 25 characters, and I enjoyed every second of it. Me too, man. Me too. Uh, and as I come to my final pick, you know, I, Melee was an obvious choice. I didn't end up selecting it because... Um, you knew I would. No, not even that, because, you know, we're not going to be on the island together. We're in separate realities, of course. Um, oh, yeah. But if I'm going to be on Destiny Islands, you know, I, I'd only have to wait 20 more years, and my pal Sora is going to be the face of Smash Brothers. Okay. So he's going <laughs> to... And then you could have that air dropped into your island. Exactly. Sakurai is going to hand deliver it to him. So yeah. I, I've got Smash Brothers covered. Not a big deal. I was the more uh, logical person in this choice here. But um, anyways, no, my, my fifth game is Resident Evil 4. Oh, okay. That I went back sense. and forth with a number of, of games. And Resident Evil 4 wasn't even... Um, I didn't experience it for the first time on GameCube. It was the Nintendo Wii of all systems that I played it for the first time. And um, which I think, if anything, was the best way to play it. For me, anyways, because the motion control just added that extra element of horror and terror, mm-hmm. you know, because you're using the motion control to try and, you know, take out Aim. these people or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that was just such a, a memorable experience. And I even thought about not selecting Resident Evil 4 to um, when we end up inevitably doing the Wii for the Destiny Island Challenge, selecting it for that. But I'm thinking, man, if I'm on an island and I want to veg out and revisit one of my favorite games of all time in Resident Evil 4... The last thing I want to do is be waving my fucking hands all over the place with the Wiimotes <laughs> yeah. playing this game. So I was just like, no, let's get it on the Wii. That's where, you know, it uh, it started and got its humble beginnings before it was ported to everything in your refrigerator, you know, years down the line. And uh, yeah, so I think Resident Evil 4 rounds out my list of, of must-haves, uh, my, my top fives, if you will. And... That's about it. You know, I'll, I'll just quickly rattle off some honorable mentions so that we can get to our listener picks. And Ryan, if you want to just rattle off yours too. Okay. Some of my honorable mentions were Tales of Symphonia. You mentioned that already. Um, there were not many 3D traditional platformers on the GameCube. You know, Kirby being a potential uh, th- 3D platformer and they went a different direction with Kirby Air Ride. Yeah. You know, you have your Mario Sunshines and maybe you can even consider Star Fox Adventures a 3D action platformer, but Billy Hatcher and the Giant Egg is a 3D puzzle platformer. Okay. Something I've never played before. Uh, it was critically received well, but bombed and didn't sell well at all. That was one I almost included on my list, but I, I couldn't not have the, the five games that I chose in favor of something named Billy Hatcher and the Giant Egg when I'd never played it. So yeah, that's fair. That's an honorable mention. Fire Emblem Path of Radiance. We talked about that a little bit. Time Splitters 2. Um even though there wasn't a sequel to Perfect Dark on the GameCube, it sounds like Time Splitters 2 is kind of what Perfect Dark may have ended up becoming, given that you can play multiplayer with bots and it's a first-person shooter kind of set in a sci-fi universe. So that was an honorable mention. And then Star Fox Adventures being my final pick. Cool. Yeah, I had uh, Mario in the Thousand Year Door, or Paper Mario. Mm-hmm. I had F-Zero GX, uh, Metroid Prime... 
obviously the two Zeldas. I'm not much experience with the two Zeldas, but Wind Waker is my, probably one of my one of the Zeldas that I want to play the most. Next, followed by Twilight Princess, Skyward Sword. I don't know, is sketchy, but I think Twilight Princess is a unique one. Um, and yeah, those are my few honorable mentions. Very good picks. Well, enough about our selections, Ryan. What do you say we go through all of our listener picks? Yes. We are going to try and read through these maybe as quickly as possible, but still making sure everyone gets their name read here on the show. And if you want to participate for future Destiny Island challenges, if you want to send in questions or topics for future episodes, write into otakubrotherspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Or hop in our Discord. If you're not in the Discord and you're listening to this podcast, you have failed, both Ryan and myself, okay? <laughs> Click that little link in the show notes. We're always having fun discussions, and it's the easiest way to get a hold of Ryan and I if you want to just have a conversation with us, all right? So get in there like so many of these people have done, submitting their five games that they take to a deserted island with them for the GameCube. The first we have here is our good friend Logan. We mentioned him earlier. Yeah. And he uh, just said Super Smash Brothers Melee. That's it. Yep. I Yeah. That is all he selected. <laughs> I'm not surprised by that at all. No, we no. are not. But good pick nonetheless, Logan. We've got Midipor. Uh, I've known him since way back in the day on the Pete's Game Room Forum. So thanks for submitting something, Midi. He said his top five GCN games on a desert island. And he wrote the word dessert instead of desert <laughs> with a little dessert emoji uh, would be number one, Fantasy Star Online, episode one and two. Nice. Number two, Twilight Princess. Number three, Resident Evil Remake. Number four, Ikaruga, a little mm-hmm. shoot 'em up that um, we definitely didn't get a chance to mention this no. to this point. And number five, Tales of Symphonia. Nice. Good choice. Very good pick. Holy Hand Grenade wrote in and said their number one pick would be Zelda Wind Waker. Okay, good choice. Number two was Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door, one of your honorable mentions. Number three, Pikmin. Good choice. I don't really know too many people that are huge fans of like the the humble beginnings of Pikmin. Yeah, I never played Pikmin games. I know Shigeru Miyamoto really, really loves that series and he's the creator of it, but he always wanted to make that game and um, well, three entries later and it's still going strong. Number four, he says, Resident Evil 4. Number five, Super Mario Sunshine. And then in parentheses, he says, if there's another person on the island, then replace Sunshine with Super Smash Brothers Melee. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Our good friend Dean, Irish Steeler, top five for him would be number one, Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes. Number two, mm. Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem. One thing we didn't mention is that there's at least two very interesting horror titles or pseudo horror titles, uh, as Pete Dorr often says, horror adjacent. Mm. Eternal Darkness is a really weird one. Okay. Um, another weird one, if you're looking to get into the spooky season on GameCube, is Geist. Check it out. I've never played it, but I've heard decent things. Number three, he says, Beautiful Joe. Number four, Luigi's Mansion. Number five, Resident Evil 4. And then he says an honorable mention would be Sonic Heroes. Damn, that game was fun as hell. Mm. Good picks, Dean. Good picks. Writhing Virtue, our good friend Taylor, or some of you may know him back in the day as Murugaru553. 
uh, back in the Algen Gamers days. He was on a really fun episode with them. He says, number one, Fire Emblem Path of Radiance. Number two, Metroid Prime. Number three, Mario Tennis. I never played Mario oh. Tennis on the GameCube. Yeah, I missed that one as well. Number four, another Mario uh, sports title, Super Mario Strikers, the soccer game. Oh, I definitely missed that one. Very interesting. And number five for him was Turok Evolution. The multiplayer in it was really fun to me. And a little honorable mention, he says Resident Evil 1 Remake. A lot of Resident Evil love. Yeah, no kidding. Rightfully so. Very deserving of it. Our boy Ethan, number five for him. He goes bottom to top. NFL Street. He also is a big fan of the EA Sports big titles. Number four, NBA Street 2. He says, yeah, I know these game c- games came out on PS2 as well. Number three, Pokemon Coliseum with the Game Boy Advance attachment to import your mons. Good nice. selection. Yeah. Number two, Zelda Wind Waker. And number one, this is interesting, and I'm pretty certain we won't see this one again today, Custom Robo. He said, yeah, that's right. Custom freaking <laughs> Robo. So dang fun. Not familiar with that one. No, not at all. No. Hey, but if it's so freaking fun, yeah, have something to, ch- to look into. Have to check out yeah, Custom, Custom Robo. Robo. Nick Nack writes in and says, hope I'm not too late, but here would be my five. And you're writing in at the 11th hour, Nick Nack. It's all good, buddy. He says, surprisingly, with a few with a few being multi-plats and games I still haven't played, unfortunately, but I'm confident that I'll enjoy them. Number one, Soul Calibur 2. Mm-hmm. Number two, Skies of Arcadia Legends, number three, Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door, number four, Tales of Symphonia, and riding out his list with number five, Metroid Prime, the first one. Nice. Next, we got Josh Prep, also a good friend of the show here, says, in all seriousness, my top five GameCubes would be the following. And he says in all seriousness because earlier in the chat on Discord, he said that Shadow the Hedgehog was his... <laughs> The only game he needed for the GameCube if he was on a desert island. Um, so I do also want to say, just for some context here, there was a lot of really great discussion about the GameCube in that era in the Discord. So again, just another plug for the Discord. If you want to get in on some fun discussion, there's a lot of great conversation there uh, for this. So number one for Josh, Paper Mario, The Thousand Year Door. Number two, Sonic Adventure 2 Battle. Number three, The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. Number four, Metroid Prime 2 Echoes. And number five, Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness. Nice. And he goes on to say an honorable mention would be 007 Everything or Nothing. I didn't see anyone else mention third-party games, so I wasn't sure if they had to be GameCube exclusive, but this game is still fantastic. They do, Josh, so I'm actually going to edit this out. This is never going to make it to the final episode. You are banning you from the Discord after this. (laughs) Nice knowing you, buddy. All right, take care. All right. Uh, JC is up next, and Biton Kaidos is the first game that JC mentions. I've heard of this. It's very bizarre. Okay. Look up some gameplay of it. It's a very, very different type of game. Number two, Eternal Darkness. Number three, Tales of Symphonia. Number four, fittingly, Resident Evil 4. And number five, Super Mario Sunshine. Nice. Good list, JC. And then our buddy, Zach Archer, is the final person that submitted something on the Discord. He says, I am highly offended I was not a guest for this episode as the GameCube is my first and truest love I've ever had. I can relate. Yeah. 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 
Sorry, Zach. We'll get you on an episode in the near future, my friend. I promise you that. But he says, the five I would take with me on a desert island are Animal Crossing. Good choice. Paper Mario, The Thousand Year Door. Harvest Moon, A Wonderful Life. Okay. The Legend of Zelda, The Wind Waker, and Tony Hawk's Underground 2. My choices clearly all speak for themselves, and none of them require further explanation. It's a scientific fact. We love you, Zach. (laughs) (laughs) We love you, buddy. Um, Good picks for sure. Now we get over to our two email submissions from two very good friends of ours. The first of which is Devil May Pie. We had him on the podcast last week. And he says, so top five GameCube games I could replay forever and rarely get bored. That will be my thought process here. His first pick, Resident Evil 4. Easiest pick for me since I've already beat it almost 20 plus times and I still love it. I haven't beat it 20 times. I've probably beaten it five or six, but I'm with you, uh, DMP. It's just a game that seems to almost get better each time you go back to it. Next pick for him was Mario Kart Double Dash. The, uh, if we're talking about scientific facts, that is the best Mario Kart game. So, heard yep. it here first. Next, Zelda Collector's Edition. Looks like we got a cheater here. Promotional <laughs> disc. This might be sort of a cheat, but it's one package with four Zelda games. Zelda 1 and 2 from the NES, and both Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. Great value, tons of replayability, and I'm a cheat. <laughs> he didn't add that piece. I, I kind of added that last fact. You know, that's actually a, a very good pick. Uh, DMP. Love it. And then finally, I know he's got two more here. Excuse me. NBA Street Volume 2. Excellent choice. And then Mega Man Anniversary Collection. Similar thought process and process to Zelda Disc. This has nine Mega Man games on it. Wow, you are cheat. Come on, Danny. Get out of here. <laughs> good picks. Good picks. We're only kidding here. Holy shit. Chrono Link 9-1 coming in, coming in with, the book. with the novel. All right. We expect nothing less from our boy Chrono. He says, hey, y'all, Scott here. Er, wait, sorry. That was just the first thing that popped into my head when I started writing, which I think that's a nod to Scott Wozniak, the um, YouTuber. Oh, okay. If I'm not mistaken. Um, otherwise, Chrono changed his name. I have no idea. He says the game. Welcome, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> It's nice to meet you. He says the GameCube is an amazing console with a lot of nostalgic value or nostalgia value for probably all of us. There's probably going to be a good deal of overlap on these lists, but hey, that's just how good some of these games are. Number one for him is Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door, a whimsical, fun RPG that has enough customization options to make replaying this over and over again incredibly fun. Plus, with all that time, you'll get to memorize the script to make yourself laugh. Number two. Tales of Symphonia, a meaty RPG that completing takes multiple playthroughs to do. It's got a great soundtrack, plus there is a lot of possibilities to shake things up by playing as unconventional characters in different playthroughs. Nice. Good pick. Number three is Metroid Prime, a masterpiece in pretty much every way that rewards multiple playthroughs because of the classic Metroid clear time and percentage ratings. I could play this over and over again. Number four. Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. Maybe a more controversial pick compared to The Wind Waker, but who wants to be reminded constantly in-game how you're stranded and Link can sail? That's a good point. I didn't think about that. Yeah. We're stranded on an island and we'd be playing a game where... We're stranded on it. You're getting off an island because you have a sailboat and we don't. So... That just hurts that's a little fair. bit. That's fair. Yeah, that's demoralizing. Corona is definitely the smarter one of the bunch Or it here. gives you hope. 
that someday you'll get a boat god with <laughs> or that, whatever. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Twilight Princess is a solid, meaty game that is still fun even in multiple playthroughs. Lots of collectibles, a good story, definitely has to be there. And number five, I love this pick because it's something I never got around to playing, is Kirby Air Ride. The challenges. 360 challenges across the three game modes, many of which take a lot of time and patience to achieve. City Trial is also one of the greatest game modes ever made that is still extremely fun with one player. Smash Bros. Melee does have some solid single-player offerings, but the randomness of City Trial beats it. No contest. Can't wait to hear everyone else's Alec. Fun choices, man. All around, I love to see it. Chrono's point, there was quite a bit of overlap across everyone's list, but that's just a testament to how special the system was and how awesome and memorable the game offerings were for the system but ryan that is a wrap man this is the longest episode in a long time for us we are quickly approaching three hours and we might get close to it because as we end the episode what i'm gonna do is instead of fading out with one track if i'm feeling fancy i might do a little medley of gamecube tracks i might have to eat my words because i don't know if i'll be uh if i'll have the energy to do that later tonight when i edit the podcast but We will see. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening to this episode. Thank you so much to everyone that wrote in with your selections for the GameCube. Ryan and I have literally mapped out just about every console, uh, home console and handheld that we'd like to do for future segments of the show. And we've also kind of light penciled in some guests for those episodes in the future. So stay tuned for those. Hopefully this was fun. And even if you're listening now and you didn't get a chance to have your voice heard on the show with your top five GameCube picks, write into the podcast. We'll read it on the next one or just get in the discord and join that fun discussion. All right. Ryan and I are planning in two weeks to be back with a very special guest. The first guest we ever had on the podcast, many of you know him out there as Pete Dorr, and we have a fun Halloween-themed episode planned. So I hope we can get schedules to work out. Otherwise, Ryan and I might have to record that episode by ourselves, but regardless, it's going to be spooky season-themed, and I think it'll be a lot of fun. So last couple of things I'll mention is that if you want to support the show, you can go over to Apple Podcasts, write us a little review, rate us five stars, tell us why you love the show, maybe provide some constructive feedback. Regardless, we'd love to hear why you continue tuning into this show, or maybe while you're putting a plug in it and saying, get out of here. I don't like you guys anymore. <laughs> I don't know, but we love to hear from you. And as I always do, as I wrap these episodes up, I toss things over to my co-host and say, Ryan, any parting words or fun facts for our listeners? Yeah, just thanks for writing in. There was great participation this week. It was really cool to see. Um, and then I guess my fun fact, which is potentially less fun than fun, fun as usual, is artificial raspberry flavor contains castorium, which is extracted from the anal glands of a beaver. Whoa. <laughs> so we're going to go to a, a brewery after this, and I'm going to have some raspberry beer. <laughs> But yeah, so castorium is used in making perfumes and a food additive. You might notice castorium in list of natural flavors or food product labels. So uh, if you want to get your beaver on, mm. eat some fake raspberries. All right. Yeah. Fun fact, Ryan got them every single week. He, we, as we said earlier in the program, this is an educational program, right? Exactly. We have all kinds of fun facts, whether it's GameCube related, 
or the anal glands of a beaver. <laughs> Ryan's bringing them every single week. Yeah. All right. Thank you once again, everyone, so much for listening. We very much appreciate it. Get a nice cider. Enjoy the colder weather. And we'll be back in two weeks. See ya. See ya.